Well, good afternoon, everybody, and a very warm welcome to you from the New York office of the World Goodwill. It's our delight to welcome you to this third and final phase of the um, seminar we're having today on the theme of spiritual dynamics of crisis on the path to global cooperation. Um, I'm joined here right now with um, colleagues, Michael Galloway, who's in his home in New Jersey, from Dora Ospina, who works with our Spanish work and is joining with us from Colombia, um, and Kathy Newburn, who is here in the office right next door to me, in la oficina, junto. here in the World of World headquarters, looking out on the UN. It's a beautiful day here in New York today. We are following on from the event that was held very early this morning, where I was still sound asleep, unfortunately, here from Geneva, which I understand went very well, although one of the speakers was unable to participate because she'd been in an accident. Um, hopefully she's fine. Followed on from to London with a wonderful um, event in London with several speakers, uh, links to Sri Lanka, contra lovely contribution from Sri Lanka, um, a, a US participant with Thomas Burr, um, and a very high note and visualization and meditation. And now we continue here in New York. And what we're going to do is we will have around, uh, for the first sort of 50 minutes, um, Michael, Kathy, and I are going to share some thoughts um, from a, an ageless person perspective. I'm very interested to hear what Michael and Kathy might have to say. And um, Dora, we will begin with a, a moment of silence and then Dora will lead us in a mantra of the New Guru World Service in English and Spanish. Then we'll have a break for around five minutes and just before about five to two, we will start the second session where we have four wonderful panelists, which we're very much looking forward to. Um, we'll have a conversation, each of them will present for around 10 minutes. Then we'll have another brief five minute break. Then we'll come back for a conversation between the panelists and at least um, hopefully around 30 minutes, possibly a little bit more um, with interaction with all of those of you who are joining in on this call. So we look forward to being together and Dora, can we begin and let's have a moment of silence and work together with the mantra of the new group of world service. Thank you. Que el poder de la vida una afluya a través del grupo de todos los verdaderos servidores. Que el amor del alma una caracterice la vida de todos los que tratan de ayudar a los grandes seres. Que cumpla mi parte en el trabajo uno, mediante el olvido de mí mismo, la inofensividad y la correcta palabra. May the power of the one life pour through the group 
of all true servers. May the love of the one soul characterize the lives of all who seek to aid the great ones. May I fulfill my part in the one work through self-forgetfulness, harmlessness, and dry speech. Thank you. Thank you. Can everybody hear me okay? I guess that someone will tell me if you can't hear me, so I'll just work on the basis that you can. It's really good to start our gathering with that mantra and to identify together as one group in consciousness aligned with the new group of world servers, the group of all who love and serve. Such a muscular, intelligent, deeply thinking group at this time in our history. So the main theme for the, our event today contains two essential thoughts, the role that crisis plays in the spiritual life. Transformación en el camino hacia la cooperación global. Perspectiva de la sabiduría eterna. El tema principal de este evento contiene dos pensamientos esenciales. El papel que la crisis desempeña en la vida espiritual. De una nación y el conjunto de las naciones. Y la idea de que la humanidad está en el camino hacia la operations does it take for cooperation to become the dominant pattern in international relations. The suggestion is that as a species, we're on an initiatory path, that all of us together, the human species as a unit, are undergoing what has been referred to by some writers as a great turning on en esta primera sesión. Queremos explorar estos pensamientos desde la perspectiva de la sabiduría eterna. Una parte fundamental de la labor de buena voluntad mundial es arrojar luz sobre la idea en relationships. All dimensions of relationship from the subjective to the objective, the vertical to the horizontal, the inner to the outer. And to look at the passage from competition to cooperation in international affairs is a way of looking at history. It's a way of shining the lenses in our glasses to identify where we see this happening. And it gives us an objective way of assessing progress and our entrance into a new age. Cooperation on a national scale, even cooperation within a nation and on the world stage tends to grow in cycles. 
So what appear to be sudden transformational periods like the founding of the UN, the signing of the Universal Declaration of Human Rights, or the end of the Cold War in recent times, tend to be followed by periods of realignment, where not much may appear to be happening as forces of materialism challenge the newly established norms. The norms are tested to see if they can hold and to see how deeply they are embedded in the structures and patterns of international relations. Constant and repeated presentations of conflicts challenge the new higher norms. This can sound like a depressing picture, yet from a spiritual perspective, it's out of this dialect, dialectic between higher principles and habitual instinctual patterns of competition and power, that the way we think about global cooperation becomes wiser and more intelligent. So instead of outright rejecting the forces opposing cooperation, we're driven to understand these forces as an aspect of ourselves and certainly of our own nations. As a result of repeated conflict, the incentive and the intent to cooperate becomes clearer, less ideological in a sense, less aspirational and more practical and rational in terms of what works and what doesn't seem to work. The cycle of conflict and crisis intensifies experiments with fresh creative ways to enhance cooperation. And we've certainly seen this in studies of international affairs from diplomatic circles, academic institutes and think tanks around the world. And I'm hoping that we will see this in the panel discussion in this next session of this gathering today. This process of conflict and crisis is a sign that life is really testing us. It's testing us as individuals and testing us as nations and as humankind, throwing down challenges, throwing down the gauntlet in a way and inviting us to see where we stand in the relation between our ideals and principles and the way we show up and are present in the world. This is happening in our lives just as it's happening in our nations and in the world. Different mythologies speak of this time as a transition from an age of separation and competition to an age of cooperation that's being driven and empowered from higher forces of soul and spirit. Potencies of spiritual power, the Christ, the Buddha, and all the prophets, rishis, and saints of all traditions, revealing previously undreamt of realities of whole o tanques de pensadores en el mundo. Este proceso de conflicto y crisis es un signo de que la vida nos está poniendo a prueba. Nos prueba como individuos, como países y como humanidad, planteando desafíos, invitándonos a ver. And the intelligent awareness of being part of something so much greater than one's own individual incarnation. These forces of love, pouring into the human, also allow us to see our own small individual incarnation as an expression of something universal. All the chaotic energies of transition in humanity as a whole are reflected within our own lives and our own spiritual path. 
Esoteric sources also speak of a third quality of energy pouring into humanity at this time, and that's a stimulation of the will. Of course, will energy is strong and it carries danger. Is it the higher or the lower will that's being fed from above? But while sensational news highlights the intensification of the will of separatists and groups concerned solely with their own interests, higher expressions of the will are also being stimulated. And not surprisingly, these receive very little attention in the media because they are, after all, behind the scenes. But the incoming energies are causing a deepening of the will to love, the will to cooperate with all who are motivated by higher principles, and a new living will to build justice and respect into our relationships, our communities, our nations and our world into our economics, politics, and education, drawing on the conversation that Lawrence and Thomas had earlier in London, there is a sense, as I would see it, that empathy, which Thomas spoke so well about, truly is growing in every profession at the leading edge of thought, in every single profession, every academic discipline. There is a growing awareness of not just the need for empathy, but of an emerging interest in and concern with empathy and empathic consciousness. These incoming energies not only inspire and open us up to new vistas of wholeness, but they also do their job by disturbing, provoking, and awakening the Pandora's box of unredeemed unresolved forces in ourselves, in the psyche, in our nations and communities. These incoming spiritual energies provoke crises. Just as an individual's passage from childhood through the teenage years to adulthood is not some clear linear trajectory towards maturity and wisdom, so too is humanity's path towards global cooperation, not a linear path. How could it possibly be when the path to cooperation can only emerge out of freedom and freely chosen decisions? The intersecting crises of this time are symbolized by the global pandemic, challenging the world to new levels of cooperation within nations and between nations. This crisis also challenges us to develop a new relationship with the UN's Sustainable Development Goals. For the goals and targets measure human development in quantifiable material terms, acquiring data to measure progress and ending poverty wherever it exists, measuring the quality and access to water and sanitation, access to quality education, the empowerment of women and so on. Never before has there been this interest in measuring these sorts of changes. But achievement hacia la cooperación than anything else on a mobilization of intelligent goodwill amongst the peoples of the world. For the transformation that's implied in the goals 
depends upon a deeper transformation of thought, attitudes, and values. It requires a reorientation towards the goal of building international relationships that reflect the oneness of all life, the essential sacredness of each and every human being, and the presence of the divine in all beings in the manifest world. Nothing less than a reawakening of faith in the universality of life and the sacredness of life in all its diversity is required in our time. For only then will the part and the whole be seen in right relation, be seen as a synthesis of life in expression and life in transition and movement towards new norms, towards a new stability reflecting the entrance into what astrologers and esotericists and many traditions refer to as the Aquarian age. Thank you, friends. I'm now going to pass over to Kathy and we'll hear what she has to say. Internacionales que reflejen la unidad de toda vida, el carácter sagrado esencial de todos y cada uno de los seres humanos y la presencia de Turn on your video. I, I was trying to, but I don't seem to. Okay. All right. Now I can. All right. Hi. <laughs> Thank you, Steve. And, um, y, y gracias a todos por estar aquí hoy juntos con nosotros en este tiempo de oportunidad. Este interludio de, de la nueva luna de Scorpio que ocurre mañana temprano aquí en Nueva York. Y bueno, creo que me gustaría este, retomar donde Steve terminó, porque la habilidad para conectar una nueva edad entre esta nueva etapa es una de las funciones claves de este grupo de nuevos servidores. Y bueno, solo quisiera compartir unos pensamientos con ustedes el día de hoy sobre las condiciones que se encuentran debajo de este grupo y su, su función primordial en conectar el pasado, el presente y el futuro. And in order to do that, I'd like to start off by sharing um, an ancient rule, um, one of the rules for group initiation, which was given out in the last book written by Alice Bailey with the Tibetan called The Rays and the Initiations. And so this rule, I think, gives us a, an energetic picture of where this group um, is coming from, what it is and where it's going, just in a few short words. It's one of the easier rules, but perhaps I'm not really fully understanding it because the Tibetan says, if you think you understand the rules, you're fooling yourself. But this one is a little bit simpler than some of the others. So it goes as follows. Let the group serve as Aquarius indicates. Let Mercury speed the group upon the upward way. And let Taurus bring illumination and the attainment of the vision. Let the mark of the savior as the group toils in Pisces be seen above the aura of the group. So Daniel, if you could show the slide now. 
Thank you. Um, this, this rule was accompanied by this diagram, which I think is very helpful when under, trying to understand abstract things. And here we see um, the group itself symbolized in the planet Mercury. We're told that the group is um, very like the energies of this uh, planet, which is um, one of the faster moving planets in our solar system. So Mercury itself stands as a mediator. It's often referred to as the star of relationships. It's also referred to, has many names, Mercury, in true mercurial fashion. It's the sign of relationships, the sign of crisis, the star of Sirius. So in that regard, we take, <clears throat> we can understand that Sirius being a major um, constellational life, reflective of Manas, pouring that stimulating energy of the mind into our planet. So too, this new group of world servers acts in similar fashion to not only um, convey a mental polarization into the masses of humanity, but also to act as Sirius, which is um, the star of sensitivity. So the group itself becomes an energy center, a great synthesizing agent, just as Mercury takes in seven times the light of the sun of any of the other planets and utilizes that great light to distribute to other planets, particularly our planet Earth. So too does the new group of world servers take in the energies um, from these three overshadowing constellations and blend them and fuse them and distribute them to the lower kingdoms in nature. De abajo de la naturaleza. Bueno, entonces, esta relación con Acuario, como se ha dicho, es la energía que va a entrar, califica, califica esos esos miembros eh, que inician de la, de la jerarquía espiritual y que son, son que pueden entrar a este centro de, de voluntad espiritual. But the group is charged with mediating between this new... Importante es mediar entre esta nueva energía en la era de Acuario y lo que sale de Pisces, de la era de Pisces. El grupo, en este grupo se, se dice que, que la era de Pisces fue, fue, fue un signo, un símbolo que también trajo hacia adelante. The sign of the world savior. And that's really the key function of this group. Y bueno, esa es la función principal de este grupo, mediar el plan entro, hacia la existencia. Bueno, Acuario simboliza el futuro que está por venir. Pisces simboliza aquello que estamos pasando, dejando atrás. Y la verdad es que como funciona como un mediador, el rol del mediador es trabajar con las energías del sol en Tauro. Entonces es útil para nosotros ponderar la naturaleza de Tauro. Es conocido como el toro de Dios. With its one eye beaming light towards the goal. It's a very directed energy. It brings in, as Steve was mentioning, the first ray of will or power, 
there's tremendous strength when the Taurus individual or the Taurus group finds its purpose. And so the new group of world servers, if nothing else, has definitely found its purpose, which is to serve and uplift. And through the medium of Taurus, it's able to brook no obstacles <laughs> in the fulfillment of that purpose. And so one of the other key functions that we're told uh, characterizes the new group of world servers is its ability to work in the interludes. So these interludes in the spiritual teachings are known as the pauses between two activities, um, the moments of quiet when the past is receding and the future has yet to really make itself fully apparent. So it's sort of an in-between phase. And that's where the new group of world servers does its bridging work by helping us to draw upon the past while at the same time projecting into the future. And so the new group serves a vital function in this world of divisions and disharmony, providing and bringing in the energy of the soul, bringing in the energy of the spiritual hierarchy. And through that means conveying vision to the world of men and women. Because we're told, might be a cliche, but it's true that without the vision, the people perish. And so that's one of the key functions that the new group provides is a vision of the future, of the future possibilities of the new world, which coming into manifestation. And so the group takes opportunity of the interlude periods. And we know those of us who are involved in this work know that this past year, uh, 10 months ago, we passed through a major interlude cycle the seven-year cycle of the new group of world servers, which brings in a flood tide of energy from the constellation Capricorn. And we're told an extra zodiacal constellation of intense magnitude and potency, which is aligned with the energy of Capricorn. So this poured in during the festival week in December, and we're still reeling from the effects of it. Again, it's a potent energy along the first and seventh ray lines. So it gives the group the potential and the power to bring spirit into matter and to fight fire with fire. Because as Steve mentioned again, the will can be appropriated by those with malicious intention, but it can also be appropriated by those of spiritual intention. And so, there is a need to appropriate the fire and the group was certainly gifted with that fire in December. And the energies have been working out throughout this entire year and will continue to work out <clears throat> as we move towards 2025, a very important cycle, another interlude period of great momentum in our planetary life, which will qualify the future. And I just wanted to finally speak of another interlude, again, on the solstice uh, period coming up. It's a beautiful symbol in the sky that's forming. 
and that will come to exactitude on December 21st. And I know many of you have heard of this um, great alignment between Jupiter and Saturn. Jupiter being a key planet in the Aquarian age. So it's particularly significant that we're celebrating this alignment, this beautiful alignment, which Blavatsky said the alignment of Jupiter and Saturn 2000 years ago in the sign of Pisces was really the signal of the coming of the savior for that Piscean age. Now, coincidentally, 2000 years later, on this day, sacred day of interlude in the annual cycle, there's another powerful alignment between these two great planets of Jupiter and Saturn in the sign of Aquarius, zero degrees. So I can't help but think that this is a powerful symbol of hope and optimism and expectancy that our planet is taking a major step forward towards um, the great um, events that are due to unfold. So thank you very much for your attention. Thank you, Kathy. Oh, you're muted, Kathy. I wanted to introduce Michael. Thank you for being with us and for being the mercury of our office and all of the great work you do in uh, facilitating so many things. Mm -hmm. Thanks, Kathy. I, I love when you speak about astrology. I don't really understand it fully myself, but I I sort of get a sense of these uh, spiritual energies sort of permeating my consciousness, just listening, listening to your talk. So, so thank you very much. Um, I'd like to speak now just briefly, hopefully briefly, um, on two ideas related to our theme. Um, first, I'd like to speak about the spiritual significance of crisis, what it means for something to be spiritual, um, and why crises is itself um, spiritual in nature. And I'd also like to speak um, even more briefly on the role that crises is playing in the life of humanity and how this crises is, is hastening humanity's evolution and pushing humanity um, towards, its, towards its ideal. So there are many definitions of the word spiritual. The term is often used um, very broadly, and by some measures, it even encompasses everything in the manifested and unmanifested universes. Um, and while it is true that everything from the highest to the lowest, darkness and light, um, spirit and form and everything in between are all part of this one um, immutable principle, um, it is not true to say that everything is spiritual. And it's not true to say that everything is spiritual because um, doing so ignores the fact really of, of the manifested world itself, but also more importantly that the manifested world is imperfect and is in process of evolution. Alice Bailey wrote that that which is spiritual relates man to man and man to God. And what this tells us is that the spiritual is concerned fundamentally with relationships at all levels, and especially that great principle of relationship 
which we call the soul. Now, the soul exists as God imminent in all things, in all forms. It is the source of unification. It what's, it's what makes unification possible, unity possible. And it makes unity possible because um, it affirms that despite all outer differences of race, of culture, of ideology, we all share the same essential nature. And so it is through this essential nature that the soul is able to relate um, each human being one to the other. So the principle, um, on a larger scale, we can also say that the principle of the soul unites all the kingdoms in nature together via what is called the great chain of hierarchy. And this great chain of hierarchy extends from the highest being upon our planet down all the way into the lowest levels of manifestation, what we call the mineral kingdom. And it is through this great chain of hierarchy that humanity as a whole is related to divinity or to God transcendent. And so we have the soul existing in the form of an atom, soul existing in an individual human being, the soul existing in humanity as a whole, and the soul existing in the entire planetary life, and all souls are one. <clears throat> so that's why we call it the principle of the soul. And this soul is what propels us forward upon the path of evolution. And it does so because it is concerned fundamentally with the perfecting of relationships and the, and the achieving of the ideal towards which all evolution is proceeding. And this is perhaps the best um, definition of what is spiritual, is any forward motion upon the path of evolution. For true spiritual achievement always moves one closer to the ideal, um, towards the highest ideal which, any, which that form embodies. And it's important to remember that this this sort of spiritual moving forward upon the path of evolution is, is universal and that it occurs at many, many levels. Humanity, individuals within humanity are all at different stages upon this path of evolution. And so we can see this great spiritual um, process occurring in all fields of human endeavor, whether it's the growth of a child into adulthood um, or whether it's the, um, the training of the mind through academic study, or whether it's the raising of a family. All of these things can be just as spiritual as the religious or the mystical life if they move, move one forward upon that path. And so where does crisis come in in this, um, in this sort of, um, in what is spiritual? The nature of crisis is deeply tied to the relationship, to relationship, to spirituality, therefore, and also to the process of evolution. And I think it's important to remember that when we consider the nature of crises, we have to recognize that crises are essentially um, and always psychological in nature, even though they have, they often have some sort of physical effect. Um, the point of friction, which kind of constitutes a crisis, can always be traced back to the psyche, to the thinker, and to the process of thought. 
And therefore it's true in my opinion that all human crises are fundamentally crises of thought. And it's important to keep this in mind. So when we consider the nature of crises, I'd like to share really the esoteric perspective because I think it's very constructive or instructive in this, um, in this way. And esotericism really is a, is a fancy word to say that all life is the manifestation of energy of some sort. All forms are manifestations of energy of some sort. And so when we talk about esotericism, this is essentially what we mean. And from the esoteric perspective, one can define crisis as simply the bringing together of two conflicting energies into an enforced relationship. And this can happen consciously or unconsciously, um, but either way, it produces a point of friction. Um, and this friction causes conflict. Um, but it can, when the mind is used rightly and when the conscious will is present, this point of friction um, can instead be turned into a point of creative tension, a point of creative spiritual tension, because it has to do with the resolving of relationships and of moving towards the ideal. It's therefore spiritual, becomes spiritual. Um, this of course requires a conscious direction of thought and the conscious direction of one's will. Um, and it requires clear thinking and dispassion to use this tension rightly. And we may ask, you know, considering the nature of crisis, why, um, why are crises and conflicts so prevalent in the life of humanity and the human psyche and in human consciousness? And it really is, I believe, because humanity is essentially a duality. On one hand, we exist in the world of form and generally speaking are identified and therefore attached to that form on the other hand, we are in essence spiritual beings and are capable of higher thought. We are capable of inclusive love and we are capable of working out the divine will through creative activity. In this dual nature of this duality of human nature is uh, fundamentally the cause of all conflict in the individual human being and in humanity as a whole. And this uh, sort of dual nature is underlying all the ageless wisdom traditions, which is the sort of spiritual um, and religious traditions of all ages have this, this dual nature of the human being is, in, is, uh, is embedded in there. Um, and, and also as we consider crises in the life of humanity, there's one more point that I, I want to highlight. And that is that humanity um, has not chosen the slow and gradual way of natural evolution. Um, the ageless wisdom teaches this. We have instead chosen the way of initiation. We've chosen um, to follow a process that brings about sudden and dramatic expansions of consciousness. And this necessarily has to occur through points of crisis. There's no other way. These points of crisis produce tension and then eventually through electrical stimulation, um, there is an emergence into an existence which is closer to the ideal.
And so just um, to conclude before I take up way too much time, I'm already at, sort of at the limits I realize, but I just wanna highlight that the crisis that humanity is confronting today um, is rapidly reorienting a transformation and a reorientation of values towards its soul, what some call the better angels of our nature. Um, this is being brought about through the, through the agency of the soul, uh, but this is not a purely metaphysical event. We have what um, Kathy and Steve both touched upon in, es in the esoteric uh, teachings is the science of impression, which is um, evocation and invocation. There's, there's, a, there's a spiritual hierarchy in the planet. There are those greater beings, greater than us, that impress us with their divine consciousness. And as humanity reaches upwards towards the soul, towards this ideal, um, the hierarchy or what we call the planetary soul responds and impresses its energy upon humanity. This is deeply esoteric, um, but I want to highlight that it also happens uh, in a way that's more mundane and more easily comprehensible by the majority of people who aren't familiar with these terms. And this happens simply, this sort of evoking the better angels of our nature happens because the leading thinkers of our world invoke, um, they mediate these new ideas, these new ways of thinking that highlight the values of the soul. They're mediating them into human thinking through their thought and through their expression of that thought. And this is really how the soul is being mediated into humanity through, through right thinking. Um, this creates crisis because there is this point of, um, because there's, the, there's these idealists which bring in this sort of vision of the future and that immediately conflicts with the status quo which we know is still deeply bound to the past. And so there is a point of friction. And the task of all of us who are, who are able to uphold this vision to think and to, um, to, to vision and to think in terms of ideals is to bring about this point of friction, to bring about a point of tension because eventually this forces humanity to make a decision. Which aspect of our dual nature should we follow? Will it be the easy way of uh, individualism over well-being or will it be the more difficult way, um, the way of the whole? the way of self-effacement, the way of sharing, the way of self-forgetfulness, the way of evoking the better aspects of human creativity um, that we all know and, and, and appreciate. And there are some that may object and say, well, this is really kind of an oversimplification of humanity's dilemma today. There are many, many, many very specific and very real political, economic, social, security, um, religious crises today that all require very specific um, solutions. Um, but I believe very strongly that these underlying all of these problems has to do with this sort of dual nature of human, of the human being and of the necessity and actually really the, the very real success of humanity evoking its soul. We have to remember that should, that, that if Either, either part of humanity's nature were to triumph, whether the higher or the lower, there really would be no more conflict. You know, physical situations would be what they were, but psychologically there would be no more tension or conflict. Um, and really I should wrap up, but I just want to say in conclusion that um, we see that today the solutions really are there there are many solutions out there. People have them. Um, 
the there's a, a very real need to implement them that is growing but what is missing is the will to implement them and so we really kathy and steve both brought up this this ask this 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 idea of the spiritual will and i think as we as we move forward everything we can to evoke this higher will and to mediate that into expression and to sort of know that paralleling this invocation of that will will be the gradual resolution of humanity's problems in a more specific way, we must keep that in mind because this sort of bringing in of this higher consciousness prepares the ground and it lays the groundwork upon which these more specific problems um, can be found. Um, and I think once we have, once that sort of higher, that higher will triumphs, we have the bringing in of what we call um, a different type of fire, you know, in the lower, the lower conflict, we have fire by friction. And in this higher triumph of the soul, we have the bringing in of what we call solar fire. And in the light of this solar fire, we have really the, it's, it's, the, it's the light within which one can look into the eyes of one's enemies and still see themselves. They can look into the eyes of their enemies and still see, see God or still see divinity. And in this state, cooperation just becomes natural, becomes a natural occurrence. And when humanity makes this jump, we will see, I think, I believe very strongly that nations of the world will be in a constant and natural state of cooperation. And then all these problems out there that all already exist will naturally be solved. Um, and so we will have four panelists later that will speak about some of their more specific work and how they see this working out um, in, the, in the world of everyday human living and being and existing. And so, before I keep blabbering any further, I'd like to um, turn this back over to Kathy um, for a brief um, visualization that she will be leading. Kathy, are you there? Thank you very much for leading us into the future, setting a course for us to follow. I appreciate it. Thank you, Kathy. Um, so we have the PowerPoint. Mm, okay, thank you. All right, so let's just take a moment to link in thought with all who are working together at this time with this visualization. Visualizar los numerosos individuos y grupos que en todo el mundo están sirviendo activamente a la humanidad. See these individuals and groups as forming a vast lotus at the top of the planet. And from the heart of that lotus, project a bridge of lighted energy to the spiritual hierarchy of saints, rishis, bodhisattvas, and masters honored by all the world's religions and spiritual groups. 
Now project that line of lighted energy higher still towards the center of pure will, visualizing it as a radiant sun, a powerhouse of light. Now, as we sound this, these words of power, let's imagine the flow of the tide of the new life as we sound the words. From the highest spiritual being upon our planet, through the graded spiritual groups of enlightened and perfected men who work upon the inner side of life, on into the outer world of daily living, where thinking, loving, men and women serve, the tide of the new life sweeps. The plan is ready for immediate application and intelligent implementing. The workers are there and the power to work is adequate to the need. Breathe in will energy and visualize it pouring down into the lotus of the new group of world servers. Reflect on the lotus as an expression of all the many qualities of the soul of the one humanity. See the energy circulating and blending all the many lights into one radiant light. Visualize this fiery lotus as radiating and scintillating light and goodwill out from the center. See the energy distributed through the five planetary inlets, the planetary star, London, 
Darjeeling. New York. Geneva. Tokyo. And see the energies permeating into the soul of all the countries of the world. and see it penetrating into the hearts and minds of all people everywhere, healing divisions, fostering right human relations, restoring peace on earth. Sound the mantra of unification. The souls of all are one, and I am one with them. I seek to love, not hate. I seek to serve and not exact due service. I seek to heal, not hurt. Let pain bring due reward of light and love. Let the soul control the outer form and life and all events and bring to light the love that underlies the happenings of the time. Perception interna. Let inner union demonstrate and outer cleavages be gone. Let love prevail. Let all people love. Thank you.
Thank you, Kathy and Michael. So friends, we're going to have a five minute break and we will then continue with the panel. I see all the panelists are here. Thank you very much. So while we take a break for five minutes, we'll be back um, at exactly two o'clock. Um, so we just got a very short break and um, you'll see a PowerPoint and those of us who will be in the panel, um, if we can just do some sound checks and so on. Thank you. Okay, so I see Imad, Jimena, Daniel, Marco. Do you want to? Yep. Hey, sir. Life is good in your section of the city? Say that again? Is life good in your section of the city? I would say so. It's also a beautiful <laughs> sunny day. Beautiful. Hey, Dan. Good afternoon. How are you? Good. How has the how has the day gone thus far? Very good. Very good. I think it's always hard to tell when you're part of the um, chat interest in the chat box. So that's that's the most important thing. And we've also had hi Amat. Good morning. Good morning. Good. Uh, it's it's afternoon here. It's evening for you, sir. Whenever I see you, Steve, it's morning. Oh, God. <laughs> you must have a pretty depressing life. <laughs> <laughs> You're always, you know, having mornings when I'm having chats with you. But uh, uh, wonderful to be here. Okay. Thank you. So, we're pretty well ready to go. Is our sound and everything okay with your side? It sounds good to me. Michael, everything sounds good. Hemena, um, when you're ready. There we are. Hi. Hi. Good. So I can hear you well. Are you? Can you hear me? Yeah. You're muted for a second, Hemena, but now you're unmuted. Thank you. Okay. I'm just setting up, but I'm here. Okay. Okay. Perfect. Um, so at in two minutes, we'll come. We'll be back. Um, as you can, you all see the chat. So there's, there's, it's, it's obviously a very active chat. So that's a good, very good sign. And I'm hoping that um, there'll be a lot of interaction, and that will be probably the most important and valuable part of, of the, the contribution that you guys are going to make. Thank you, Steve. Will you call upon us to put on video later? Yes, so I can get it. Two 
So friends, here we are back again, ready to start. Let's just pause for a moment of complete silence. Um, imagining those of us on this call from all over the planet, sitting together, a través del planeta, todos sentados. silence, with our silence dedicated to service, to serve the evolutionary growth of cooperation. Thank you. So friends, in this section, uh, in this afternoon section, we have four guests, four panelists who very kindly agreed to join us. And uh, I think this is going to be a very interesting discussion. The I'm going to introduce the panelists first, and then we'll, um, we'll, we'll, we'll move through and we'll go through in, in this order. We're going to start with Dan, Daniel Perel. Daniel's the representative, he represents the Baha'i International Community to the UN. Um, and he has done so for many years, one of their main representatives. He's coordinator um, of the UN 75 People's Declaration. This is a very significant um, declaration, which has been endorsed by over 700 civil society organizations. Um, and Dan's especially active in fostering civil society partnerships at the UN on sustainable development and environmental issues. So in terms of cooperation, Dan's very much involved in the cooperation of civil society around the agenda of the UN. Jimena um, is, Jimena Leverush is a senior fellow and head of peace and sustainable development at the International Peace Institute. She's a former member of the permanent mission of Guatemala to the UN. Um, she was the lead negotiator for Guatemala on the Sustainable Development Goals and the UN Climate Change Negotiations. So she has immediate uh, professional experience in international cooperation. She's also the joint author of two books, um, Negotiating the Sustainable Development Goals, which is an insider's view of the story behind the historic UN process of negotiating the SDGs and also um, negotiating at the United Nations, a practitioner's guide. And in a sense, when we look at the art of cooperation, even for us in our own lives, very much of it is about negotiating on behalf of evolution. So I think there will be a lot of interesting, um, interesting um, thoughts to, to mine from Jimena. Imad, Imad Kiai. Um, is you're very welcome, Ahmad. Ahmad's director of the Middle East Treaty Organization, a coalition of civil society activists and practitioners seeking to rid the Middle East from all weapons of mass destruction. Ahmad is joining us from Paris. He is also a principal at the international consulting firm, the IGD Group, where he provides strategic advice at the intersection of political risk, diplomacy, and disarmament to political business and civil society leaders. Matt is the co-author of A Middle East Free of Weapons of Mass Destruction, A New Approach to Non-Proliferation. He was earlier associated with Princeton's University's, Princeton University's Woodrow Wilson School of Public and International Affairs and Columbia University's Center for International Conflict Resolution. 
and he's the former executive director of the American Iranian Council, an educational organization focusing on US-Iran relations. And finally, um, it's my pleasure to welcome Marco Toscano Rivalta. Marco has been an international civil servant for over 20 years, serving with the UN and other international organizations. He's worked in the field of in, in the field and at UN headquarters in areas of refugees and human rights protection, justice administration, rule of law, humanitarian relief, sustainable development, and disaster disaster risk management. So all four of you are very welcome. I think it's a it's a very it's quite a privilege to have all four of you together. Two of you, Hamena and Marco, have spoken at Wogabul events before, and you're extremely welcome to see you back again. And two of you are new faces. Um, and I'm very much looking forward to those of us who are all on this call from around the world to seeing your face, hearing your voice and getting to know you a little as we reflect on this subject. So Dan, can you um, set us off with some thoughts on this theme of crisis and the transformation happening in the path to global cooperation? Sure, it's a very small topic, so I'm I'm glad that you <laughs> gave me, uh, the full three hours to to address it. Um, so everybody, sit back, get a snack. Um, no, it's really a, a pleasure and, and an honor for me to be here. Uh, I the the invitation came sort of out of the blue, but as I've learned more and heard more about this community, I, I feel a very strong resonance. Uh, and it's it's really a pleasure to have learned more about what it is that, that you're working on and and you know, hopefully what I can add may, may be of use, but it seems actually from even what I heard uh, as I joined, um, what I'm saying may be redundant to what you all already know. So I apologize if, if that's the case. But um, as was mentioned in the introduction, I do represent the Baha'i International Community at the United Nations. I've been doing this for about 10 years, which isn't so long uh, by the standards of cultural change and the kind of shifts that we need to see in society but it is long enough to see a few uh, narrative arcs come and go. And I think this is sort of what I'll, what I'll try to touch on um, in this little contribution. Um, and I think at this moment in, in human history, it's really ripe for opportunity, uh, but not because we have the political will we need, not because there's some new technology or, or innovation that, that, is, you know, that we're on the cusp of finding, but it's because to me, the needs are becoming so great that at any moment, just one small deviation, one small change in the, in the collective psyche could cause the whole system to be turned on its head. And I think that that would be actually quite a good thing considering where the system has gotten us thus far. Um, but what we can see is that throughout history, these periods of turbulence always present opportunities to redefine our collective. So at each stage in human history, there's a, a more complex level of integration that takes place from the community to the nation and out to the world. Um, and, but, but at each stage, there is a, a more pressing challenge that emerges that forces us to, to grow further. And society then is compelled to devise new arrangements. So at this moment, uh, all of these, these concurrent demands, these concurrent crises are pushing our existing structures beyond their capacity for effectiveness we find ourselves for the first time needing to purposefully organize our affairs in the full consciousness of ourselves as, as one people in one homeland. But true, to truly acknowledge this global interdependence requires actually a genuine concern for all, 
and and that is something we heard in the in the meditation before the break. Um, and it's a deceptively simple concept, but it, it it really implies a profound reordering of priorities. So, for example, the starting point for a consultation on any program or any policy really has to be consideration of the impact it'll have on all segments of society, not just the constituency it seeks to help. And if we use this as a lens to understand the diverse challenges facing humanity, we see a new kind of consciousness must emerge. So what are the hazards that are facing humanity? And I don't wanna to get too dark or too into the weeds about these things, but, and I'm sure we can all list them in the, in the chat box, you know, climate change, economic shocks, uh, inequality, food shortages, and I'm in the United States, so food surpluses, uh, racial injustice, gender inequality, disasters of all kinds, natural and man-made, uh, a breakdown of trust, uh, some of these more profound issues. And then of course, there's, there's a pandemic layered over all of this. Um, but what makes these hazards actually into crises is how we are able or unable rather to respond to them. So with COVID-19, you know, sort of layered on this, it, it becomes an accelerant or an exposer of vulnerabilities that have often remained hidden either by our, our ignorance or by deliberate choice um, that, you know, there are conspiracy theories about all kinds of things and that could be one of them. Um, but importantly, I would posit that this list of, of all of these, these challenges are actually a list of symptoms. And the real malady, the real crisis is far deeper. It's related to a number of things that I saw in the chat, but, you know, materialism to power uh, and really to a, ultimately a detachment from that which distinguishes human beings from the rest of the cohabitants on this planet. So it lies within the, the soul, the spirit, whatever you want to call it, that deeper thing within us. And until we're able to shift our thinking beyond this accumulation as development mentality, our social and institutional systems will remain inadequate to respond effectively. So notions of progress grounded in material gain and profit or a reluctance to explore an ethical or spiritual dimension of existence, this has become commonplace in the international discourse. And it's, it's actually the result of a logical um, conditioning. For the majority of human history, this accumulation was how we survived. Um, but if we keep using those old paradigms in new contexts, we're not going to meet the full spectrum of our needs. So in a world where for the first time there's sufficient material goods for all and the capacity to equitably distribute them, perpetuating this accumulation mentality is actually counterproductive. It creates gross inequality. So having demonstrated that previous notions are no longer suitable, what do we do with this growing interdependence? And we're confronted with a question <clears throat> to which we do not have a clear answer. How are, do we, how are we to behave personally as communities and as institutions in an interconnected world that is so different from anything we've experienced before? And this has the potential, the great potential to expand our consciousness, to help us rethink our priorities, to gain an appreciation for our shared identity and ultimately to reorder our societies based on that understanding. So principles such as unity, solidarity, concern for collective and individual well-being, a reliance upon good science and accurate information, these have been conceived of as the soft dimensions of our responses. But actually these are the greatest tools we have uh, because they, they allow us the potential to rise above even the most broken of systems and set humanity on a course of true resilience both in times of hardship and prosperity. So just to repeat, because it, it runs contrary to these narratives that were often taught, it's unity, solidarity, and concern for collective well-being. These are the hard dimensions of, of, of prosperity, 
not what we have conceived of as the hard dimension. So now that we've identified to a degree this problem, what do we do about it? So in the international advocacy sphere, I, I really see four conversations about change happening and, and they're interconnected. Um, and I, th I think a growth is happening from the first level that I'll, I'll articulate all the way to, to the, the, the deeper levels. Um, and that, that growth, that progress has been uh, marked in the past decade, I would say. So at the most superficial level, you have a discussion of the actors, the governments, the corporations, the, the leaders themselves, you know, if we just change the leadership, then, then all will be right with the world. And, and I think this is, this idea is, um, you know, we're moving past this notion, which I think is, is to our benefit. The second level is that the systemic level. So it's not the players of the game, it's the game itself. So if the system puts it, you know, the system in place rewards corruption or encourages the pursuit of profit at the expense of well-being, it treats truth as a negotiable commodity it's not the player themselves, it's actually the game that they're playing and the game produces this kind of player. And that's, that's right, to, to a degree, and we see um, this is... Aquí es donde encontramos la, la mayor parte de la conversación a nivel internacional. Which policies, which mandates... Uh, ...que mandatos podemos poner en lugar para cambiar este tipo de estructuras. ...as a bomb to the sword. But again, the game itself is based on certain underlying assumptions. And this is the third level. So, so even the game is rigged, it, there's a misalignment of these assumptions on which our system is based. So some of these assumptions would include, and I've referenced them earlier, that development is defined in terms of material profit, that missteps in a path of learning are a sign of weakness, uh, that self-interest is the way to progress, and that competition produces better results than cooperation. These are some of the, the fictions that we've been, we've been told. And unless and until these narratives are shifted in the collective psyche, it'll be difficult for any new institution to reflect the, the realities necessary for the world. So that's the third level. And then the fourth level, we have to admit that at the third level, if we're talking about changing conceptual frameworks, it's both daunting and it also is reminiscent of the imposition of a dominant worldview that has gotten us into a lot of problems. So we have to acknowledge this and then get to the fourth level, which is that of our own humanity, our own nobility, our sacred duty and privilege to serve each other. And this level draws upon certain fundamental truths. And I see in the chat box, it begins with the individual. That's right. That's, well, I think that's right. So it, it draws on certain fundamental truths that we all, all must recognize. For example, trustworthiness, generosity, humility, rectitude of conduct, dignity, our collective destiny. All of these things, once we understand them internally, we can begin to express them externally. And I do believe that, that this conversation is happening more in the international space. How can we restore trust? How can we strengthen social cohesion? How can we ensure that we are taking into account the consideration of all, uh, of the needs of all? And this, this is a growing conversation, which is great. And as this level increasingly takes center stage, we'll see that at the first level, individuals in positions of influence will reject these contradictions that they can no longer abide. At the second level, these unjust structures will come to be inconsistent with the values of those who operate within them, leading to pressure for meaningful change. At the third level, these current notions of progress, though they may have served an important role in the past, will give way to deeper understandings of the true story of humanity. Just two or three more brief points, I promise. Um, I wanna offer my own take on how we can increasingly turn to this third and fourth levels to draw upon and reevaluate. And I think it, it takes a posture of uh, a process orientation rather than a, an outcome orientation. What I mean by that is that the approach to progress must build gradually on strengths and respond to evolving realities. And this is how crisis can help us so much. 
we can now admit that the world we seek has not existed and we're all equally searching for these solutions. Progress toward the goals enshrined in global agendas, for example, this calls for a conscious, a conscious reorientation toward experimentation, search, innovation, and creativity, as opposed to positioning, adversarialism, and politicking, politicking, excuse me. And this all may seem quite naive, but to me, what's more naive is believing that what we've been doing thus far should be perpetuated because it's been working so well. So, so the final point, just to say that the, the true disease that we're facing is actually not COVID-19, nor is it the other symptoms of the struggling order, the other crises. The disease is an insistence on an approach that does not speak to the deeper needs of humanity at this moment in history. It's the retention and perpetuation of outworn habits, attitudes, and institutions. And therefore we have to engage in a collective exploration of the root causes of these problems as vigorously as we seek some of these superficial things like a vaccine. While a vaccine can stave off a pandemic, it's a collective exploration that can help us develop patterns of thought and action that will result in systems of collective flourishing, even in the face of future calamities. So thank you. And I'm looking forward to, to questions and, and to my co-panelists as well. Thanks. Thanks, Dan. Well, I think all four of you, I got, that's, that's like the whole thing presented before us. That's beautiful. Helena. Thank you so much, um, Steve. It's always uh, great to be connected with you and with the group. Y muy buenas tardes a todos nuestros colegas latinoamericanos también que nos están uh, escuchando desde América Latina. Um, and I was delighted to be after uh, Daniel because I think so many things I'll say will kind of flow after what he just mentioned. Um, basically, I've, <clears throat> I've ordered my thoughts in like a triangle, so on three main points. The first one is this idea of um, what is the, the spiritual crisis and the, the, spirit, the spiritual dynamics of crisis mean for the person or the individual. Then the second point in my triangle is what does it mean for the UN and for the international community? And then the third point is what, it's, what are its implications for the planet uh, as a whole, right? So on the, on the personal aspects, I think that this 2020 has been a, a period of deep, deep reflection, chaos, uh, confusion, and hopefully also a period of renaissance and um, deep spiritual growth. So everyone I've, I've spoken to has, has gone through some type of, you know, metamorphosis, personal metamorphosis from this, this, this year of 2020, which has accelerated a lot of deep uh, personal feelings that were perhaps covered and now through this period of, of instability, it's just things have just come up at a personal level that we've all had to deal with. And the, the, the incredible thing about what, what has happened in 2020 is that this crisis, the, the epicenters have been in the North, which usually it's the South that suffers from this constant, you know, um, reminders that we're mortal it's for the, first, for the first time in a very long time that people in New York and in Europe feel and, and are reminded that we are 
quite fragile, we're quite mortal, and that things can change quite rapidly. Because in the Western world, when we've had so much stability, we start taking things for granted. And so this crisis has been different in the fact that it has been touching the centers of power. It has been touching people that have a lot of influence and a lot of uh, resources that can actually change the world. And so, for example, I, I really believe that this, this um, what has happened through COVID has, has become for many a, a personal awakening, such like uh, for so many in, in, 20, uh, in uh, the 9-11 attacks happen. And I know, for example, I'm working with an entrepreneur right now that is, um, that, that is connected with the 40, 40 wealthiest families in the United States. And he said that for him, the 9-11 opened up his heart to this change. And now his life is devoted to the 2030 agenda. I would like to think that many more people like him with that type of power and resources are awakening now and are going to shift their models of influence and their, their, their personal resources towards good. So at a personal level, there is an opportunity, a choice for growth and for realizing that we're part of that oneness of that humanity that, that Daniel and Steve and Kathy and others have touched upon. So that's the first point. The second point is how the UN has uh, taken this. And you know, the Secretary General mentioned that we are in the 90, at, at our 1945 moment. What does that mean? Like at a moment where after the Second World War, the UN was created and there was this cohesion and coordination and really the ability to see ourselves as, as, as one. But I believe that we're still not in 1945. <laughs> we're liking, hopefully, hopefully we're in 1944 and not like in 1943. Hopefully we're towards the end, but we're definitely not in 1945. We're still in the midst of a lot of chaos, the pandemic, at least in the United States, is still raging uncontrollably. And, and, and I don't think the dust has settled in any ways. The fires have not like been um, kind of calmed down. The temperature is still high. So I think that we're still in a moment of complete and utter transformation where it's very confusing for the international community what to do. This is reflected in the fact that the UN is in its most dire financial situation ever. It's questioning its relevance and its importance in the world, where it's, where it's seeing other forums rise up and perhaps have more power uh, than, than theirs. So for the UN as well is a call for transformation. It's also a wake up call for the UN to be more inclusive and to challenge those assumptions that, that Daniel uh, was saying and those fictions that in a way uh, formed it. So it is also a period of deep upheaval for the organization. And then for the planet, I think what COVID-19 has brought is the mindset for all of us, particularly living in the West that had comfortable lives, understand that life changes in exponential ways, that, we, that, that one thing can really shift from one moment to the other. And the climate change scenarios, the climate emergency that we're living right now requires that type of mindset, requires that type of understanding that we are not living in a stable moment, that we're in a highly unstable 
in a moment that we need to change, not in incremental ways, which is the way the international community has behaved. We need to change in exponential ways in order to have emissions by 2030 and then by 2050. So the challenge is very big. Fortunately, we see more leaders coming up from Greta to uh, many uh, figures at the city level, at the national level. A nivel de ciudad, nacional, global, que están pidiendo este cambio, pero, pero no ha sido suficiente. Pero bueno, básicamente a nivel personal de Naciones Unidas y de planetas, vemos que tenemos una decisión. A nivel de humanidad, tenemos la opción de regresar hacia niveles de la edad media, de, 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 de encerrarnos, de tener miedo, de, de estar solos, o tenemos la, la opción de realmente construir un renacimiento en donde los principios de cooperación, solidaridad y, y universalidad serán, serán la guía, ¿no? los, los valores guía para este periodo. Así que muchas gracias. Which is one of the easier places to work on peace and security, uh, as you can imagine. And um, a group of us came together and we're like, okay, where can we go to create the changes that we want in our environment? And um, we looked at different uh, uh, challenges. Uh, uh, Daniel was so fantastic in listing all of these things that we we're facing. So thank God I don't have to go into that but we know what the mess looks like. We know where our challenges are. The, the world is going through this transformation. It's been hit on all fronts from ecology to the environment, to our politics, to our relations between uh, us, between each other, between nations, communities. And we see all of these tensions and all of this filth in a way has come to face us. Uh, to give us um, a choice. Um, what do we do when, when it's like, it's like a, uh, we're cleaning up our houses and we are realizing, oh my goodness, there's a lot of skeletons in the closet. There's a lot of things wrong. Nobody wanted to talk about uncle over there. They didn't want to talk about auntie over here. We didn't want to talk about these things, but now everything's out. When you have an election in 2020, after four years of President Trump and the elections are this close, you have to ask yourself, what does the other think of the other in relations to all of these challenges? Why have we reached this level of polarization in our mental, in our emotional, in our physical, in, in what we believe to be true and not true? And so the universality of our values and where we base our compass has completely become mushy in a sense. So it is a time when we no longer know what is fact from fiction. I mean, this is, this is what millions of people across the world are actually facing 
in their you know echo chambers that reinforces their belief that you know a small group of people are controlling the world to be the earth being flat whatever the case may be uh, this is actually happening in our time and so this group of characters that i'm part of said you know what let's go to the heart of the region we know i'm an iranian my colleague is an israeli the other is a Palestinian, and I promise you, I know it sounds like a joke. We can walk into a bar, the Arab, the Israeli, and the Persian, and we had a Brit in there, of course, and they discussed how do we actually bring about those incremental changes that is required within a process that Daniel was talking about that has and reaches an outcome. Now, we looked at various um, you know, other models of where there was enormous amounts of misunderstanding, mistrust, de desconfianza, falta de entendimiento y, y que había conflicto a diferencia. And we try to identify what would be the common ground in a sense that we can build a foundation. And here I want to zoom in because I think it's important for us to realize that I don't represent governments. I'm part of civil society. And when we went and looked at how do we get rid of weapons of mass destruction in the Middle East, people said, you guys are crazy. They said, we've been working on this. We want to reach a treaty, but nobody wants to write the treaty text. So we said, why not we write it? So we went and we wrote a draft treaty text and we send it out to most incredible experts in chemical weapons, biological weapons, nuclear weapons, disarmament experts from the region, outside the region. And we had this group of advisors that we still have that allowed us to begin the process of writing a treaty. I don't know how to write a treaty, I promise you. I don't even know how to write my own name sometimes. But the bottom line was that we reached a point that if we wait for the actors that Daniel identified. If we wait until the game changes, until the rules are not rigged anymore, heaven's sake, we'll be 2100 and still talking about this. Get in there and break it. Change the laws, change the rules. I am a madman when I'm appearing in front of the United Nations and my colleagues are saying, oh boy, the show has started. Let's go check these crazies, the Israeli, the Palestinian, the Iranian with a Brit in the middle talking about how to get rid of weapons of mass destruction in the Middle East. Let's go and see what they have to say. Because actually, when you look at these actors, when you look at these institutions, they don't have fresh ideas on how to move forward. They are so stuck in this mud of trying to send another port accord before I can speak to you. No. This is what is happening at our level of policymaking. It is time for people who are just have enough will in them, that have enough insights in them, that have enough wisdom in them, that have enough connection to whatever you call divine or other, that see that this can be different. That as Daniel said, we have the resources. It's just not equitable. It's just not distributed properly. That we are relying on our leaders to make the change, knowing very well that the leaders are not 
representative of us or our ideals, of our visions, of our future. So let's be clear about a few things. One, that the process is important, but to imagine a future we want is also important. And that's where Kathy's visualization is so important. But when we bring it down, this group of characters that I work with, we imagined the future first. We saw the Middle East free from these weapons. We saw it as a gateway for them to realize that an Arab and Israeli and a Palestinian and all of these others, plus the Iranians, are so much more similar than we are dissimilar. That when the Middle East is not a coincidence that the Abrahamic religions flourished and began and bloomed in the Middle East. It is not a coincidence that Jerusalem has been a city that has been fought over by all that have crossed its paths. So when the Middle East is in turmoil, it radiates the energy of destruction and instability across the region around it. And what is the region around it? <laughs> I mean, fine, it's a bit far from you know, South America, but I promise you it hits quite well to Africa, to Central Asia, to Europe. We are at the you know, backyard or front yard of all of these cross sections of where people and ideas and motions have happened and rippled. So that is why we're focusing on the Middle East because that's what we know. But that does not mean that if your expertise is on Colombian you know, uh, ecosystem, that it should stop you from radiating from there. The idea is that if we truly want to seek peace, if we want to truly seek love, if we want to radiate that through our work, through our actions, then similarly, we have to go through our own individual processes with an ultimate vision of our own self future and then backtrack and say, what do I have to work on today? And you know what? I know this may sound very basic, but you know when they say that, you know, you want to change the world, start with changing yourself. Everybody's heard this saying. Think about it next time a little bit extra because it is so hard to change your habits. It is so hard to know that damn it, you cannot bring death into your system if you preach peace then why are you having that hamburger again? You know, let us be conscious that if we want an end to carnage and cruelty, let us be kind to all sentient beings. And in that, let's be kind to ourselves. And in that, let us take those actions that then whoever is around us, whoever is in our environment can truly see that what we are resonating is love. Let us feed not our little monsters that have become these paper tigers that seem so enormous to collapse. Let us give power to parts of us that can bring down those monsters into small little pebbles that we can just throw away. And it's not impossible. The, the tagline for these conferences- Matt, I'm just watching the time. Uh, yeah. Quiero terminar con esto. Estamos haciendo nuestro proceso y quiero darte un ejemplo antes de irme. En los árabes, en nuestros países árabes. Former officials, current officials, we can't say who they are. We put them into a, um, 
environment that we could control for four days for them to discuss. Day one, they would not even recognize each other or acknowledge each other. Day four, I cannot tell you that those who see each other as enemies embraced, those who thought that the other was another species realized that they are their brothers and sisters. And that I have seen with my eyes. And that I will tell you that can happen in the Middle East. Oh my goodness, it can happen anywhere. <laughs> that song New York must change to Middle East. Thank you so much. Thank you, Wow. So, Marco. Thank you, Stephen. Uh, I would have loved to just keep listening to Martin, Jimena, <laughs> and Dan, actually, rather than speaking myself. Uh, it's, really, it's really fascinating. So, thank you, Steve, for having me um, again, I would say. Um, and also, it's really a pleasure to be with all of you and, and with, the, with my fellow panelists. It's not quite easy then to start from where they left it. Uh, and of course, some of the points uh, are of great inspiration to me as well. So I try to elaborate around those uh, um, as well. Um, the first things that, you know, it's been described, we're all well aware that the, the magnitudes of the crisis is really, it's really huge. Uh, and we haven't seen it in, in, in decades. But one thing that gave me a lot of inspiration is actually the etymology of the word, the crisis which coming from uh, Latin and ancient Greek uh, means choice, decisions. So that pushed me pondering what really at the crux uh, of what, uh, what, what I'm supposed to do uh, to start with and a little bit what is the task at hand. And also to, to basically figure out that uh, a crisis is not just a moment of pain, of suffering and reaction, but it's most fundamentally a significant moment of assessment discernment, choices, decisions, and then action. And that, then I want really to underline, because it goes also to what Daniel and, and Heimat and Jimena was talking about, is figuring out what's the model behind before we act. Otherwise we perpetuate uh, the, vicious, the vicious circle. We are looking at a very hard question at the moment. We know that, we have heard that. Uh, you know, the risk that our paradigms, that we have chosen paradigms of economic social uh, growth have brought to us, they're creating risk, they're not reducing risk for us. The ever-growing inequality is a big thing. And most fundamentally also, what is the status of international cooperation? Whether we have existing sufficient and genuine uh, solidarity across peoples, uh, whether we have a proper political will, and I'll go back to this proper political will, and also the determination to transcend uh, our usual, uh, usual borders and interests. Uh, the global spread is clearly given <clears throat> and, and due to our inter interconnectedness, as also said um, earlier. But this uh, globalization is not really a new thing, if you think about it. It exists since the dawn of civilizations. I would dare to say that uh, the globalization, in fact, is the result uh, of an inherent tendency of our conscience toward expansion and unification. Um, and, and that for me is, is, a, is, is a very, uh, an important resource to keep, in, uh, to keep in mind. And I think that from crisis to crisis, what is really happening is that we are steadily coming to terms with the fact and practical uh, <clears throat> consequences of being one humanity. 
we're learning the hard way. Sometimes the nice way, but most of the time the hard way. Uh, but the, there is hope there. Why? Because uh, in, in a way, what is happening is that uh, what happens in any country now is clearly of global relevance. And this is pushing us to reassess uh, certain key tenets of our international order, and also national orders fundamentally. We are supposed to re basically to reconsider the very same notion of national interest. Uh, we have to reconsider what domestic jurisdiction means. We have to reconsider what national sovereignty really means, and most fundamentally the common, the common good. But interconnectedness, uh, sometimes we feel it is a bit intrusive, but at the same time, it has brought to us incredible advances. However, not for all. And that is, a, is another big thing. So crisis, luckily, what they really do is that they reveal the unjust measures that exist within our chosen paradigms. And I underline the word chosen paradigm. So clearly, as also my other friend said before me, the COVID-19 crisis is, uh, it was not created by a virus. It was maybe triggered by a virus, but it, in, in a way is the result of a dangerous mix of health, economic, social, environmental, political questions and choices. And, and clearly also a very questionable, exploitative, if not abusive relations that we have with the other realms of nature. So the animal kingdom, the vegetable kingdoms, the mineral kingdoms. <clears throat> so it's very clear to us what the course correction needs to be. It's becoming very, very, very evident somehow. And, and, and the measures that we need to take uh, in the interest uh, of those left behind and the poor, and also most fundamentally for, for the planet and all its uh, realms there. So I think that fundamentally what, what is really happening is that we are coming uh, I let's say that I have the impression that we are called upon to focus uh, on, on what being humans uh, actually means and implies. Uh, you know, planetary evolution as is the result of the evolution of each kingdom, but also the collaboration across uh, uh, kingdoms. We human beings are the results of these uh, three kingdoms there. So what is expected or what is the expected evolution of human beings? What is the added value that we are expected to bring to the other realms of, uh, of nature? And what can we make of our lives in order to contribute uh, to evolution at large and, and also to these cooperative relations? Uh, and I think that all this is fundamentally uh, a, a very important backdrop to international cooperation and international relations. Of course, the, uh, an important question is how we collectively understand and then we pursue the common good. And that question is really upon us now. But we're not starting from scratch. We know that- Sabemos que hay ciertas, ciertos parámetros. Los, los objetivos de desarrollo sostenible son uno, que las Naciones Unidas buscan, ¿no? Pero es, es, es muy importante mantener en mente que, que COVID-19 no puede ser algo estático, sino también afecta nuestra conciencia. El, el 24 de octubre fue el 75 aniversario de las Naciones Unidas y, y, el, y el secretario dijo que es algo para las relaciones internacionales, pero para mí es 
para mí es algo más a nivel de la, de la conciencia de la humanidad, el nuevo milenio. Y bueno, esa conciencia es muy importante, pues, pues está brillando en la, en la Declaración Universal de Derechos Humanos y ha tomado un curso muy importante en el espíritu de, de hermandad y que es lo que deberíamos buscar para, para el bien. Y bueno, déjenme citar el, el artículo 1. It says all human beings are born free and equal in dignity and rights. They are endowed with reason and conscience and should act towards one another in spirit of brotherhood. Now, this article is powerful beyond law. It is law, but it's powerful beyond law. It's a compass, really. But to, for me, to get fully its power, it, it needs to be linked to another important article of the Declaration, which is Article 28, that says that everyone is entitled to a social and international order in which the rights and freedoms set forth in this declaration can be fully realized. Very often overlooked article. For me, it's probably one of the most important of the, of the declaration. What this article tells us is that international relations, international cooperation, global orders are not a space for deals or, or power games, but fundamentally and necessarily are means and basically the space where we can thrive and live. And uh, now this takes me back uh, to the, then to the United Nations because the UN in itself also is a means. It's a means to generate this uh, collective approach and order. And I think that the essence of the United Nations is extremely well captured in Article 1, which is the one on the purposes and principles of the organizations, but most fundamentally in paragraph 4, which says, I quote, to be a center for harmonizing the actions of nations in the attainment of these common ends. Now, this article is really the essence of it. It's the only article of the charter that is not about doing, it's about being. It says to be. The other three paragraphs, in fact, are about uh, peace and security, cooperation, friendly relations among nations, but they can only be achieved until and unless we are able to give energy and, and really establish this center for harmonizing. It's not a center for harmony. It's a center for harmonizing the actions of nations. And uh, an important point at this stage is uh, religion, philosophy, and psychology has actually helped us understand that already there is a center within ourselves of that nature. So we don't start really from scratch, but it's important to search for that center, identify it, nurture it, and actually give it the lead. And this center is strongly related to will. And therefore, how well we use our will, how well we know how it works, its relations to the heart, and ultimately our capacity and freedom to use such will of the heart is really fundamental. Now, This, uh, I'm coming toward the end, this uh, Center for Harmonizing uh, the Actions of Nations in the Attainment of the, of the Common Ends uh, fundamentally rely on our capacity to discover and nurture that center within us, within ourselves. I would dare to say that global cooperation starts from within, but in fact is also what Hamad, Dan, and Jimena have said already, and I like to, to, to stress on that point. It's, And uh, 
This brings me back uh, to this question of the proper political will that I referred to at the beginning. My sense is that political will simply is not enough. Why? Because a discriminatory law or an act of war are expression of political will. And therefore, I think that we need to work really harder to integrate our will with something else, with other indispensable qualities. It's to be good, heartful, benevolent, wise, and transcendent interest. Of course, it, it must us, as we said from all of us, because if, we, if I don't do it, why others should do it, why nations should do it. So is it projecting the solution of the world on international cooperation is a mirage somehow, because if everybody is expecting somebody else, as, as also Ahmad was saying, forget it. Uh, we're gonna be here in next uh, uh, millennia. Ahmad uh, has been generous in saying next century. Um, and uh, from this perspective, and this is my, my last point, from this perspective, we can really appreciate what an incredible and huge experiment was initiated 75 years ago. I believe that nothing of this scope and import has ever happened in recorded history. And therefore I really dare to say that the United Nations is 75 years young. We are in very, very early days of an experiment of forging and using collective will for the common good. And we must give experiment, our conscious and focused attention, our determinations over generations. It's a long run, it's a relay run, yet the timing and each leg of it is of essence. And, and, and I think that the next few months, and I would say the 10 years, are really of critical importance as we build the building blocks of what we are set to achieve in the next 50 to 60 years. It is a time where the space of our hearts, the lights of our minds, the energy of our bodies may be consciously and intentionally, purposely used in service of humanity, the planet and its realms in spirit of siblinghood. Thank you. Thank you, Marco. Wow. I think now, according to the schedule, we're supposed to have five minutes break, but. Um, I'm going to make a bit of a unilateral and ask the other panelists, you can have a voice on this, I think we should just move on because there's such fire and such magnificent energy coming from a body of professionals who represent, through their individuality, these voices of the International Civil Service, of those individuals representing governments, and of those individuals actively involved in negotiation representing civil society. So my suggestion is we don't stop. We, we, we need to move with this. And um, let's have just sort of, I wanna bring in the, um, the, the, the chat box, but just for a few minutes together and maybe just carrying on Marco from that thought that Sure, we're at, as Jimena said, we're, at 19, we're not at 1945. However, the significance of what happened at 1945 was something that was came from, if you like, from governments. Now, 
it's as if that is becoming human. And that's the, so this thing of the personal intersecting with the government and this deep stirring of consciousness of all peoples. And I love that thought for the first time, really, it's come to the countries of the North and the West. So now we have North, West, East and South stirring in crisis. Can I offer a few thoughts? Is that okay? I don't know exactly the process. No, That's but no, there's not. Yeah, please. We're having a chat. Yeah. So I, thank you so much. Because I went first, I didn't have the, the opportunity to respond to, to what I heard from people before me. So if you'll allow me, I thought that the, the subsequent speakers were amazing. And I'm glad I went first so I didn't have to speak in their shadow. Um, <laughs> but just a couple of things came to my mind as I was listening. First, with Jimena mentioning this, this north-south divide. Um, you know, one of the things that I, I try to work on is this notion of global citizenship. And often I'm asked, you know, what good does global citizenship do for, you know, the, the Malawian who, who doesn't have food on their table? What does this new mentality matter? And initially I was trying to defend it. Oh, it can help them to see themselves in this broader us and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And then I realized, no, you're right. But if we can change the, the habits of those in the global north, if they can start to, to, to adjust the systems that, that they have been, we have been, I'm one of them, we have been perpetuating, then actually that will be a great benefit to the Malawian, you know, just to choose some, some random country, no, no disrespect to Malawi. Um, but, but really, it has, it, many of these issues that we're talking about are actually the, the place of change, the locus of change has to be in the, the global north those societies that have built the culture that, that we're in. And yet the UN is so focused on how to help the global South, it's totally mis misplaced. I think that all the, the country offices should be in Washington DC, in London, in Rome, not in you know, Mogadishu and, and you know, all of these other places. That, yeah, it's helpful, but it's not actually where the true change needs to be. Um, and Imad was phenomenal, of course. And it made me think, you know, why I do the work that, that I do. Um, it's not because I think the UN is, is again, the, the locus of change. Far from it. Lugar de cambio. Estamos muy lejos de eso. Digo, todos estamos detrás. Yo me incluyo. En sí, donde está, debe ser al, al, al nivel de la gente, ¿no? Comunidad. Pero realmente, si no tienes gente. Like yourselves and others whispering in the ears of, of you know, the, the powerful. Um, how are they going to know the, the way? And so... You know, the work is like water over a rock. It's, it's going to take decades or centuries to, to make a change at the rate we've been going, but it can actually take place um, provided we don't put all of our eggs in, in this basket. Um, and one other thought came to mind as he was speaking is, I don't know if you've seen the Lego movie. It's one of my favorite movies. I know it's animation, but I'm a child at heart. Um, and the whole idea of the movie is this, this one character is looking for the special. The, the, the person who's best with Legos, who can make any shape he wants out of the Legos. And if only we find the special, then we can solve the problem. And of course, to give away the ending for those who haven't seen it, it turns out that we're all the special um, and we all actually can, can do this. And I think this is very representative of where we are in the world today, <clears throat> that if we keep on turning to others to make the change for us, we're going to be waiting for a very long time and we have to all treat ourselves 
like the special. Um, and then the last thing is just responding to Marco, who I always love uh, listening to. Um, his, you know, idea of this evolutionary process, I think dovetails really nicely with this question from Martin in the Q&A about which one issue on the international agenda would we like to be solved in the next five years. Um, to me, it almost doesn't matter which of the issues. I mean, if I could choose one, it'd be whichever one is the greatest crisis. Um, but what matters much more than the thing is actually the process that it, it can instill in us. If, if it's the smallest thing that the UN finally cooperates on and can learn a lesson from that, then that's the thing I want. I actually think the UN has a couple of, of magical issues, but we don't talk about them because those things are working. So nobody, you know, that's not a squeaky wheel. It doesn't get any grease. But when you fly across borders, when you make an international phone call, that's all because of the UN. They have systems in place to allow international travel, international telecommunications. We have agreed on international cooperation. Let's just take that same lesson and apply it to the next thing and then the next thing. If we're trying to start with the Security Council, for example, we are in big trouble. I think that all the Security Council talk, it's the sexiest thing, it's the most politically attractive thing, it is also the most difficult, the least likely, and, and the one that will cause, I think, the UN to, to cave in on itself. If we start with these smaller ones that can then build up a culture of cooperation and collaboration, then we can get to the Security Council when humanity is ready for it. Anyway, those are just a few thoughts. Thanks again. I, I really love listening to you all and look forward to more. Imad, Jimena, Marco. I think Jimena wanted to go first. Please, Jimena. Uh, no, please go ahead. I'll go <laughs> up. Yeah. I had just some random thought, but I was the last to speak. So maybe it's, uh, you know, Space to you first, and then I'll come back. <laughs> Please, Jimena, Jimena. Sure. So um, I was as reflecting on this issue of uh, of the north and the south. You know, one of the things that we tried to do with the twenty thirty agenda, and we had a lot of pushback at first, was that it needed to be universal. You know, the Millennium Development Goals were not universal; they were targeted specifically for the south, but in the 2030 agenda with the sustainable developments, all governments, all of us made, and peoples, because it's a people and government framework, decided that it needed to be universal. And at the heart of this universal agenda is goal 12, changing uh, unsustainable patterns of consumption and production, which of course received some of the greatest pushback by our beloved United States because it was so hard but, it, it, but in that goal, I remember the Indian colleague telling, you know, we have lessons that the US can learn from us in changing patterns of consumption and production. So we already have frameworks that are guiding us into this universal vision in which we have to change this fiction that the North has the answers and the South needs to apply them. Um, so that's one, and the Paris Agreement is the other uh, universal agreement in which a lot of the burden and a lot of the things that need to happen is also in this hemisphere and in larger emerging economies. So while I was in COVID, I was actually wanting to, like having to take a personal decision to just stay in New York or do I go back home? But if you think about it, like, one of the things that made me stay here is because I believe really the work in so many ways is about 
opening the hearts and minds of people that have the financial and the, 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 the biggest sphere of influence. So thank you. Wait, Mark, I'm, am I waiting for you or do I go? No, I'm, no, I'm waiting for you. Everybody, everybody's oh waiting to hear what I'm no. to say. No, 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 okay. Wow. First of all, um, I wish I could see all the 266 people on this uh, yeah. webinar because um, I missed that. <laughs> Can I just say that? And um, uh, everybody has spoken such beautiful words and it's so much inspiration. And in that process, we have realized that we're not alone. So first of all, just realize that, that you're not alone, that there's a lot of people slowly chipping at making sure that we can create that change. And those little incremental ones. Daniel's favorite cartoon was, you know, the Lego. Mine is Ant, because I love Ant. Ant is just this little guy and he goes and he, you know, finds a way into like, you know, finding ways of responsibility and then making change. It's the average joke. The whole idea of like, we can actually do some of these things with incremental changes. But if we do it all collectively, that incremental change will have exponential change on a grander screen. So I'm just saying, don't give up hope. Don't think that what you're doing doesn't matter. And that's why our actions and our thoughts and our intentions, as many people have put in the uh, message box, are important to be aligned that we have to tap into the infinite amount of wisdom that is out there in our universe, in our thinking. But to tap into that, we have to make sure that periodically we acknowledge it, that we ensure that we are actually in there and we can bring that infinite knowledge and wisdom, channel it through ourselves and pick out whatever we can to then turn into actions. I say all of this because I know that the UN seems a, a difficult place for any progress. But since I talked about this draft treaty, I want to just bring an end to it. The idea of a WMD free zone in the Middle East started in 1975 and then really picked up and became expansive to include chemical and biological weapons in 1990. And we're in 2020. Very little happened between that time. But they kept chipping at it. And then when we came up with this draft treaty, we didn't put our names on it. We didn't put who wrote it. We didn't say any of that. We just put it on all the tables of the governments and we lobbied them at the UN all the time until one of these governments said, can I take that and can I have it in words so I can copy paste it? I'm not sure. We gave it to them. They copy pasted it. They slapped their own logo of their government in it. And then they sold it to the UN. And then the UN passed a resolution uh, just two years ago to have this conference where all these Arabs, Iranians, and Israelis with the P5 can come and sit down and talk about a draft treaty text. Wawa Wiwa, 2019, unbeknown to a lot of people, because Daniel says, when it's not blood, it's not in the news. In that building in New York, 22 Arab countries, four of the P5, plus Iran, international organizations, and a handful of civil society, we pushed ourselves in, were in the building under one roof, led by women from the Middle East. And the Middle Eastern countries were center and the P5 were put their seats at the back. <laughs> we re 
it was reorientation, talking about North and South. We put like, this is our region. We want to figure it out. We got solutions. Stop telling us what to do. I assure you, Middle East has a long history of being able to handle itself. Stop imposing. Just listen, cooperate, assist us, support us, but let the solutions be from the region. Because isn't it much more obvious? The Middle Easterners know their own, excuse my French, their own situation better than others. Disculpen mi, mi lenguaje, pero bueno, las soluciones están en, no están en otros. Y lo digo porque realmente pasó en noviembre de 2019. Y el asiento de Israel está vacío. But the, but the mandate is simple. Reach a consensus freely arrived at of a treaty that creates a WMD free zone in the Middle East. It's a process. Take your time, but be in the process. And you know what we figured out? This is all between us. Don't mention this to the governments. I hope there's no government listening to this. But the fact that these Arabs were under the same roof, plus the Iranians and plus the others, what do you think they talked about in coffee breaks and uh, alongside other technical goodies and experts? About actually what is going on in the region, that we are number, we have so many conflicts and one of them is our resources and water. It comes to the environment. It comes to what we're doing to our own people. And so the conversations start and they bloom and they expand and they broaden. And again, through that human connection, they realize, wait a minute, we're not that different. So the UN is useful, as Daniel said. Our final thought of all of this is that, again, we talked about making sure that we start with ourselves. But I want you to know that there are solutions out there. And yes, usually we wait for a catastrophe to happen at some magnitude of reaching in 1945 so that we can talk about a creation, a regeneration, a, a resurrection from the ashes of a phoenix that can create something more you know, wholesome. And maybe there is time for that to happen. Maybe it has already been happening, just at different levels. We just have to identify them and see them because they're happening. Magic is happening every day all around us. Figure those ones, nourish it. And by that, I'll plug in, go check out our website and check out what we're doing because that's important, because all of you can actually see what's happening, that something is succeeding. It's wmd-free.me, wmd-free.me. Because if you can give us your support, I don't care how, figure it out. But the point is that if we find these alliances, to find each other when we come to these forums and not let it just evaporate, that if you nourish those who are seeking peace and love and to bring that radiation to the places of power so that we can go in there and change it up, then give your energy to that, give your focus to that, give your resources to that and identify within your own communities at every level you can find because it is no longer, this inaction of us is no longer valid. I don't want to hear that anymore. We got to get up and do shit. And this is the time to do it. And don't wait anymore. Don't wait until everything changes. Get in there and change it. And I'm here to help you. And you're here to help me. So let's talk. You got my details. Ask Steve. He knows everything about me. Thanks, Dan. You, thanks, Dan. You put that in the chat box. Marco, and then we'll, um, and then we'll go to the chat. Yeah. Um... I just wanted to pick up different points that uh, Kimena, Dan, and Emma said. Uh, um, 
Ahmad was speaking about, uh, you know, at the beginning of the choice, and also he used another word, which I, um, I loved it, is about radiating. And it says radiating from ourselves onward, or wherever you are, if you're in Colombia or anywhere else, just radiates from there. And I think that that aspect of radiation, which sounds a bit esoteric, in fact is not, uh, also the sun radiates and it's not esoteric, we see it there and we benefit from it. So, but, but there is something more into understanding and into, in, into, in, into using this radiation uh, that Hamad was, uh, was referring to, which is very powerful, is the, the force of, of, of change, in fact, which also is connected, you know, radiation does happen and does take place from a center. And one thing that I'm, I'm really impressed uh, over the past uh, decades is the flourishing of centers of all different sorts of things uh, in, uh, in, 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 in many countries. Um, and uh, those centers are becoming, uh, uh, you know, radiating points for ideas, uh, movements, choices. And it feels like uh, that the whole governance of the, the, the very same concept of national state is actually coming to uh, an important question mark. Now, you, I heard uh, some, uh, um, some politician wants to say that uh, the nation state is here to stay. And I was wondering, how can you really say that? Because if you go back uh, a few hundred years ago, there was no such thing as a nation state. So it's very likely that at some point, uh, the nation state will no longer there. Hence, the importance of start imagining, you know, national state is great, it's helped us, it, you know, if we have created the national state, it means because it was part of human evolution and, 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 and a way of collecting, of collectively managing our collective power in broad sense. But given what's happening around us is not completely out of space, the question whether the national state is actually, you know, start changing shape. And, you know, the, the inclusivity of, of, so, of, of <clears throat> the movement of uh, civil society that are no longer within countries or global as well, clearly implies a, a reconfiguration of this concept of global governance beyond the very same concept of national states. Hence, the needs to reconsider national interest, national sovereignty, and on, on some of the issues that I, that I mentioned there. So. Then the connection between radiation center and will, for me, are, 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 very, are very important because then is where you as an individual or as a group, you can actually energize types of actions. So this connect, and, and, and there is something which is very interesting. So all these, all these centers, they have something in common, which is this power of radiation that Hamad said is, 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 is the capacity of willing a future and imagining a future and, and acting on, uh, on it. And is actually occupying the space uh, almost like the stars occupy the sky. So th there is a constellation of these different centers that are chartering somehow uh, a slightly different future from the one that they have been working until, uh, until now. And also another incredible thing that's happened in the past few decades, in, in, especially in the past 25 years, is that for the, first time, for the first time, we have a plan for humanity. It never happened before. If you think about it, 
if if could even even in I don't know in twenty years ago it was almost inconceivable the concept of SDGs. And now instead they exist. They have indicators, countries and other people are putting resources to measure progress. So it's like it some, somehow the collective intelligence of humanity goes far beyond the intelligence of us as, as single human beings, but we don't necessarily uh, you, you know, give it sufficient trust, I, I, I would say. So appreciating the, 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 the incredible dimension of this concept, that's for the first time we have a, a, a center of will embodied through the United Nations, but not limited to the United Nations, because we, we said we have centers all around the planet. And then uh, this global plan for humanity is not for the South or for the North, it's for everybody to account on progress to their own citizens. I think, I think that this is incredibly uh, strong. And, and, and also this dimension of the collective psyche that, that Dan was, uh, was referring to, I think is, is, is important to bring it to, to the fore more and more. We know the psychology is somehow important, but we don't want to speak about it. You know, when you are in a boardroom or when you are in a meeting with other fellow professionals, everybody needs to look cool and strong and determined. We tend to forget the human. The negotiators actually, they, they keep that in mind quite a bit. But it's not part of the common discourse, this more inner dimension. And I've always been fascinated by how the Secretary General Doug Amershold used to speak to these dimensions all the time. He was addressing the Security Council, he was addressing the General Assembly, always bringing this dimension to the fore. In fact, he wanted the, the UN Meditation Room precisely to make people more and more accustomed to that center that is within in order then to be able to materialize the center that is out, uh, that is out there, which is not a physical center in, in First Avenue in, in New York, the United Nations, but is rather that center of gravity of, of, of humanity as a collective entity, which we should not forget is just part of a larger. We, we still need to figure out what's the role of humanity versus the other kingdoms, rather than considering them as resources only. I mean, are we resources to the rest of the planet in addition to other human beings? And uh, this for me, they do remain open questions that uh, this current crisis is actually talking us to. We're, a bit con we're becoming excessive consumers of change. We want new things all the time, including ideas. Uh, that's why I, I like to go back sometimes to, I don't know, to the Universal Declaration or some of the articles of the UN Charter because uh, they are very powerful. It's just kind of almost meditating on them. Like, what do they tell me? What does it mean to act towards one another in spirit of sibling mode? Or to be a center of harmonizing actions? How do I materialize it in my daily action? When I open my email, when I go into a meeting, very small things. Wow. The, um, in a sense, it, it often seems to me that all of us suffer from a degree of uh, depression, which just reflects the sort of lack, absence of joy in this present state of humanity. But it's such a false, it's such a false um, view, because the reality is that 
if you move from that image of from 19 from the founding of the UN to what Hermannia calls the 1944 moment, to me, it's that we don't see this incredible radiation of human creativity and human intelligence around the idea of interdependence. It is of phenomenal significance. And the more we hide, we hide our awareness of that when we go into a, wherever our profession is actually, because these issues are being fought out. To me, the professions are the place of interest all professions, any professions, because that's where the will of human creativity meets sort of work. It meets what's produced. And the reality is that interdependence is transforming every profession. So if we see that, we need to change our ability to, to find the language where we can follow Hammarskjöld's model and be able to go to any environment and speak to the humanity, speak to this new reality, because most people who even who in whom that is alive hide it from their professional face. And yet, if they unmask it in any way whatsoever and make a fool, it doesn't matter. If we unmask it, we see that this is who humanity is becoming. And then we can move from this depression state to just completely demolish it. And I love the thought, Marco, the, this final thought you have about the will settling into away from these idealistic things of what we could be to the realities of people's lives being changed by choices at every level. And it is true there's a North and a South issue, but to, from my experience, it's as realistic to a, a very poor community in Lagos as it is to my community where I live, a rural community in upstate New York, as it is to Texas. So I, something is happening to the human. And all of us simply have to find the language that gets off our high horse that thinks that we know everything to stand with our fellow humans and see this radiation, see it in its living human presence, um, and then see it in wherever our professions are. Um, so does it, would, I'm so sorry we're not bringing in the panel. My sense is that actually in spirit we are because we're not bringing in the chat box. Is there anyone who would like to take something from the chat that they would like to respond to? Um, I want to affirm that this is a conversation, not just for those of us whose faces you can see, but this is a conversation that we're all, because we're holding in the light this idea of the spiritual dynamics of crisis actually at play at this time in history. It's an incredibly significant time. And it's the process that you and I and all of us, our kids, our grandparents, all of us are going through. That's what life is about now. You know, I love this thing of world goodwill. One of the key ideas is this idea of, it's the new group of world servants, it sounds like jargon. All it is, is that there now exists today in consciousness 
a vast group from every single culture, every faith, every tradition, for whom the meaning of their life is becoming significant and serious, and who are finding ways in their life to serve evolution. And this has never happened in human history before. This is the story. Our brothers and sisters, you know, our family and the like the group that we identify with a flag is this flag of all who love humanity and in simple humble ways and the most serious sort of thought through clearly spiritual ways are turning in service that's the story of our time and um you know that's if only we could move out of this depression of who we are and see that the causes of problems that human beings are actually engaged for the first time ever with the causes of their problems in relationship. That's something terrific. I agree. And Steve, um, there's a saying in the Agni Yoga books that joy is a special wisdom. So in all times, we all have to draw from that wisdom um, and to work and serve with that wisdom in our hearts uh, that creates that joy. So, um, you know, that we, we teach these trainings as part of the UN negotiations that, that any diplomat and actually any person can speak of their needs or their country's needs, but also can speak for a better world. And that's what Dash Hamasko taught us, that anyone can speak for a better world. Uh, and so I think that this crisis can lead to that, like, greater consciousness in all corners of the world of, 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 of being um, part of acknowledging that we're a fam family and family not only to our, like, brothers and humans from this kingdom, as Marco mentioned, but really rebalance their relationship between uh, humanity and also uh, others so that all beings can thrive and live in, in, in this planet. So um, that's certainly what we should imagine as the future, as uh, Ahmad said as well, of being able, having the capacity to imagine that. I think that's, that's the intention that we live in. And if we are answering the question that in the chat about which challenge would I, I choose, I would I would certainly among them would be the gender, the gender. If we if we were, were able to achieve that gender equality, that gender empowerment, that relationship between us, you know, between uh, men and, 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 and women, I think that would be a really great start in re rebalancing the relationship we have with other beings and with our home, with our planet. And I'm sorry, I have to leave a little bit sooner, but my toddler, um, I have family duties that I have to go, but it was lovely to, to be part of this. Thank you. Thank you so much, Amanda. Thank you. <laughs>
there's a lot of comments, there's a lot of reactions, and I would love to then properly actually go through it and see. Uh, there's a lot of gems in there, just FYI. Um, but I was listening to all of us, and uh, it reminds me uh, whenever I, uh, we, 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 we try to say, we're trying to sell impossible ideas as possible. And what is uh, fascinating is that uh, the COVID uh, pandemic, uh, I have a very good friend who's like, I had to write, uh, he's a journalist, and he had to uh, write the title or the title for the day. And they had given him this polling that 4 billion people at that day, at that moment, were in confinement of some sorts. 4 billion people across the world are like confined. And this has never happened in human history that we are all somehow understand how the other feels, the North and South, as you said, is dissolved for just this brief moment where we're all facing this, as Daniel said, not the most important virus and crisis, but one that has brought some sense of empathy in terms of understanding the other. And to understand the other as being you, if you can see within the reflection that this is 99.9% same as me, the same genes, the same atoms, the same composition. It's very difficult to then focus on that 0.0154% that makes us separated by a little fluke in the system of what you know, hair color you get or wherever, whatever the case may be. While important to then resurrect and discuss frankly, in terms of all of these challenges that Daniel was mentioning early on, at the same time, imagining, wow, there's so much that is actually common ground. Like there's actually way more that brings us together. And this brief moment of confinement has also given humanity a moment of pause. And as we know, this moment of pause of introspection, reflection, assessment, prioritization, what is actually going on in the world? What is going on in my life? Do I really need to be in a two hour work commute every day? Why couldn't I just do this earlier? Or like questioning a lot of what has been known as reality, as being facts in stone and seeing how it can fizzle. They say habits change in 22 days. It's interesting that a lot of these confinements are putting us in these spaces for more than that. So if habits can change so quickly, habits at what level? Can we have that introspection then translate into this awareness, awareness that can be of a different degree, of a different level, where it can connect us again to the divine source of like what we collectively want for our human race and for our planet. And it is, in, in, in addition to philosophy and religion and so forth, is history. Now, humanity has gone through all of these challenges at some point. It's just that it wasn't at this scale, maybe. It wasn't moving as this fast. Maybe there wasn't actually that much clarity or distortion, <laughs> depending on how you want to look at it. But when we look at, again, these religions, no matter what it is, from the Baha'i faith to Hinduism to all the faiths, at the core of it, it's simplicity. It's actually simple. It's just like, listen, five rules, yalla. Five rules, don't do this, don't do that, do this, do this, khalas, go. 
And the other one says, you know, if we actually really boil it down, you don't even need 10 commandments, so you know, two or three. And so all of these are actually, how can we simplify, clarify, and make sure that we are specific in what we can do in our actions? And then when we realize that these divine laws or divine ways of life are there for very simple reasons so that we can coexist within our environment, that we can thrive within our environment, and we can be able to then within this ecosystem, make sure that we survive. <laughs> I mean, it's quite simple. So let us be, let's make the intention collectively now for a moment to not make things so complicated that we will see it as a mountain that we cannot climb. Let us simplify our, our you know, imagination of the future based on things that we can all agree on. That yes, we want peace. We want security, if it's human security, ecological security, national security, whatever that means. Let us boil it down to these simplicities of like how we can really just live and know that if we can do it within those values are enshrined within every religion, every pathway to the divine, which is the infinite in terms of how you can get there, then let us know that that infinite paths will provide us the means to then know what to do, to trust within that compass. And if you're a carpenter, if you're a magician, if you're a philosopher, if you're a teacher, in every of your professions that makes you sustain yourself, always, as others have mentioned, bring in and invoke within you the moments that you can then have clarity, that you can then transcend to others and through yourself as a reminder that yes, it's actually quite simple to change mindsets. We focused in the most difficult region, and I assure you, we tell our European friends when they laugh at us that when World War I happened and two, you butchered each other, not once, but twice. I mean, you've got to be really special to kill each other a lot and then go back and do it again. <laughs> so 80 million people died, and then you're telling, you're preaching us that we can't have peace. I'm like, listen, Baba, you guys butchered each other, and then you realize this is not the way to do it. So you said, okay, guys, if you're X, Y, and Z, come and join us. Let's co build up this coalition. And if the EU in 1945 was in, it cannot be imagined, it became a reality. The idea brew in 1948-1950s. But what the EU has done for the Europeans has given them one thing, peace among themselves that I can have conflict, but I do not have to resolve it through violence. Now, what they've done to the rest of the world is a different question. They can export their violence you know, and their carnage, but that's not what I'm trying to focus on. I'm saying that within their own collective consciousness, they realize that there are different ways to do this. So as much as we can imagine the future, we can also use what others have already done to find their security and pinpoint, reconfigure, and then through a, a, you know, a very nice customization, speak the language of those that we want to change. And through that, oh, 
the impossible seems so possible and so close that you can taste it. That's the cool part. So yeah, I'm excited. I know there's a lot of depression out there, but damn it, I'm, and I work in the Middle East. Come on guys, we can do it. I mean, if I'm so excited about the Middle East, then there's something wrong with me possibly, but there's also that there is, once you see, once you're unveiled, and it's always a glimpse, you know, Iranians, we, lots of, we have lots of poets. And we say, you know, um, to understand uh, divine, uh, you know, all of our poets are drunk, but they're actually drunk because you have to be drunk to be in love with your God, to reach your God. But they say that when you get too close to God, the moth burns, it's too close to the fire. And that balance of being able to tap into that flame of knowledge and wisdom, but not to then assume that you can take all of it. That you have to be close enough to tailor it, to achieve enough warmth from it, but don't burn in the process. And for that allows us to be, have one foot on the ground and have one that guides us through another paradigm. So in that, I hope that we can find our way, our own personal way, that we can find that balance between the moth and the flame and hope that through that, we can see the light and the light then provides us oh, 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 so much love. Ooh la la, it's fantastic. And that can nourish us and fuel us to continue on the path towards what we believe to be true. I'll stop there now. <laughs> Thank you, Ramad. Wow. Maybe Steve may have a, a last one last comment from us. Um, look, I'll tell you what, but, uh, and quite quickly now, because we want to we want to wrap up. Um, Dan, do you and then and then we'll go to Marco. Dan, do you have anything you'd like to? Yeah, I I do, and actually it goes back to one of the. So firstly, I don't like to speak after Imad. In in the future, <laughs> let's just let's just make that very clear. I'm not ever going to join a panel where I have to follow him. Um, but but uh, yeah, I I want to respond to something that I saw in the in the chat box, which was about uh, how many people know their neighbor and what are we teaching our children. Yeah. Um, and it it got me thinking about who is on this panel, uh, and one of the tendencies that that we have, which is to sort of highlight the the I mean myself excluded obviously, but to highlight the exceptional. So Imad is creating a, a Middle East peace treaty to end nuclear weapons. That's ridiculous. And you have Jimena, who was one of the lead negotiators for the global agenda on development. That's also ridiculous. Mm -hmm. And so you have like these, these people who do amazing things and then they come and they say, you can do it too. But the reality is that it's very difficult to, to put yourself in that position. And so what I think is the, the more, at least for me, like what helps me sleep at night is to say, what are the opportunities before me that I can take advantage of? I'm not going to solve the, the Middle East crisis. Imad can do that. Obviously, he can do that. And I, as a, as a you know, American over here. Thanks, like, Daniel. Thanks, thanks. You, know. <laughs> you take care of that. I'll, I'll cover that. You take the other one. You take the other yeah. issue. I'll take, I'll take the US politics. Anyway, um, so, so but with that said, what are, the, what are the opportunities we have? What can we do with our neighbors? And, and the analogy that I think about is recycling. My, my recycling a can or recycling a piece of cardboard is not ultimately going to make a difference. But I do it because there's billions of other people who are doing it. And if each of us decides to do it, then it will create this movement. So we're not all going to create the amazing recycling center that will have this new form of energy that 
you know, we're not all going to do that. The, the Imads and the Jimenez of the world, they, they will do that, hopefully. But what we can all do is we can all, I'm sorry to embarrass you, Imad, I know it's very un-Persian of me. So um, what, what we can all do- I do want to retire at some point. <laughs> so, but, but what we can all do is find our little can to recycle. And then as we do that, as we do our little bit, like that is, that is what this collective transformation is that, that Steve referred to. So do you know your neighbors? What do you teach your children? And then the other thing that I was thinking about is, is that change is generational and not and rarely legislative. So what I mean by that is, is in the US we had this, this wonderful legislation that came down after, you know, with after the end of the Civil War, and then it was sort of reaffirmed with Brown versus Board of Education ending, ending seg- uh, the, the practice of segregation. But that doesn't change the heart. That just changes some text. No Entonces solamente cambió el texto de, de cómo el líder cambiaba sus políticas, pero realmente no es... These differences. Uh, and, and what we need to do is find ways to change heart. And that is actually quite challenging and quite slow and quite generational. And so when, when Jimena was saying gender equality and then in the chat box, somebody wrote about race issues. I think that these issues of identity and Imad was talking about this as well, where we're 99.99% the same. These issues of identity are so foundational. And in fact, unfortunately, they're, they're exacerbated and highlighted in our, our schools where we're taught to find the difference. All we do is look for differences and we, we respond to things with, but me. You know, you say this, good idea, but I think that. Well, why not and? You know, this is a very well-known indigenous uh, construct of how to, how to engage in dialogue. You do and, not but, because but puts the other person down and isn't building off of, of what happened before. But our schools and our schools are teaching us that we have this other approach to, to education that I think is quite, quite challenging. And um, unless we change this, it's going to be difficult. The last thing is what I mean by, that was legislative. What I mean by generational, I was watching basketball with a friend um, who, who was really into it and he knows a lot of the history and all this stuff. And he said, you know, now is the time that we're seeing the effects of the three-point line. I said, what do you mean? It's been around for 30 years. He said, Dan, change is generational. The first people with the three-point line didn't know how to do it. The next people learn from the mistakes of the first. So it's only when that second round is now teaching the third and fourth round of, of generations with the three-point line that we actually see what it looks like. This is the same with gender inequality, with uh, con- habits of consumption and production. We don't know, but let us try to fake it until we can make it so that the next generation will know better and the next generation will know better. It's not going to be us who, who can do it because it's all generational. And that's in some ways, it alleviates the pressure from all of us to do things right now or else we're failing. And it also in, encourages us to, to think and invest in the future, our, our own future, our own progeny and, and that of our, our neighbors. Um, and if we do that, I think that, that we can you know, be in the right mental space to not feel defeated when we're not changing the world every single day, but we're changing maybe our community, maybe we're changing one habit that we have and that collectively is, is what will make a difference. And I think this crisis and these collective crises are showing us that, that that's the way. So thanks. Beautiful. Thank you, Dan. Marco. Maybe just two, uh, two, 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 two points. One is uh, from what Emad said when he was speaking about the uh, Europe and European countries. I actually believe that uh, it's quite important that Europe and European countries recognize uh, the devastating impact of colonialism. 
I think that if a region that you know speaks to human rights and portray human rights, I think we have an obligation to to do that. And and I think that the time has come or is coming, and uh, at least an expression of apology needs to be formulated somehow. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and I hope that that comes forward soon. Um, more than apology. Come on, Marco. We need a little bit. Uh, <laughs> don't worry. The Italians didn't do much, but uh, the others we have to talk about. It's also an issue of collective responsibility. So everybody did their bit, but collectively is even worse. Uh, so um, I, I think I think that uh, is probably is not going to redress uh, what has happened, and the effects of it is is under our eyes. Um, in, in many many countries, uh, so I think I think that 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 point of uh, um, I wouldn't say I, I wouldn't know how to term it differently, but but is is part of the of the of the necessary uh, you know mending and and getting ready on on a different path of relations uh, on a planetary scale. So as Hamad say, yes, Middle East is important. There are also other parts of the world that have that, that so some cleanup to do. And and, uh, and 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 Europe is one of them. Uh, it, it's important to, uh, to to express that and to uh, and to recognize what has happened and what is still happening because of that. The other thing is uh, is about um, is about will. Um, I, I think that that has come through in many different aspects in our conversation, and and uh, I, I really love it. I think it's very important. Uh, um, to, to try to learn more and more how we decide collectively. Um, because the decision-making process uh, is, is actually uh, a process through which we mature, as we have heard today. And, 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 and this is a moment of crisis also due to the type of decision-making that we have. There are interesting experiments across the globe about taking decision by consensus or even better by un- unanimity. Um, and that, for me, has to do also with the change of nation states that is coming uh, forward, because uh, the more we shift uh, toward different type of decision-making, even the very same model of democracy that we have at the moment, which was exchanging with Daniel some time ago, is still fundamentally based on the fact that you've got the majority that beats the minority. And, 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 and there is uh, an inherent form of violence into it also. Uh, this is something that, you know, it's in itself an important process. It has helped a lot and it's taken us where we are now. But it doesn't mean that although we can do better in democracy, we can also start exploring more consciously other forms of decision making that build some more on the other qualities that we've been discussing today. Because there are certain forms of violence which are built in the decision making in and of itself. Uh, and that doesn't help uh, because there are little seeds that remains and then germinates at some point. So apply, I, I don't think that, I mean, I'm, probably many of the people that are online are familiar with the writings of Roberto Sajoli. I'm familiar with it. This is where I got my inspiration on, uh, uh, on, on, on the wheel. There are many, many others. Um, but I think it's, 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 a, it's an important moment now to understand better and better how myself as an individual, I actually apply my will and what type of qualities I accompany 
the expression of will through the decisions that I take uh, collectively or also individually. So thank you very much. It was really fantastic to be with you today. And Dan, Ahmad, Kimena, you, Steve, and the other friends on uh, uh, line. Really a pleasure. Thank you, Marco. Thank you. Thank you, Dan. Thank you, Ahmad. And thank you, Jimena. Um, look, this has been a wonderful session. Um, and I really do feel that all of um, the participants um, around the world who, who've participated through the chat box, as I think you said, Dan, there's terrific um, wisdom in there. Um, Michael, when you come on, if you can perhaps just remind people how they can save um, that chat box, because there's so much there. Um, we do need to move on with time. We're going to close a little bit late. The meditation is really important um, sort of part of the work based on the idea of radiation. Um, so right now, I just want to thank um, the four of you, Jimena's here in spirit, and uh, um, bless you for um, being with your family. Um, thank you, the three of you who are here, for presenting the voice of those whose profession is occupied with international relations to make us, all of us see that the future is incredibly hopeful, incredibly hopeful, because we've heard the vo from the voices of professionals who are not on their own, who are not simply individuals. They reflect a body of thought from within their profession. So friends, thank you very much um, indeed. What we're going to do now is we're going to. Um, Thank you, Steve. Um, I'll bring, I'm going to bring back Kathy and Michael. And thanks, Marco. Thank you, Amad. Um, and uh, just because uh, we're running short of time, but just some very, a couple of thoughts from each of you on the day. And Michael, could you just begin with a technical thing? I'm sorry to do this to you, but if you can remind um, people how they can save the chat box. Yes, it's so if you just open your chat box, there's a dot, dot, dot um, to the right side and you just click that and you select save chat and it will save, save the chat box for you. Um, but just a brief closing remark. I'd like to say um, thank you to everybody. And thank you also, especially to our um, simultaneous um, interpreter, Maria Gonzalez, uh, Maria Teresa Gonzalez, uh, who has been such a, such a gem and uh, kind of a, a hero in helping us to do this and providing this for all of um, the Spanish community, Spanish speaking community. Um, Someone asked towards just to tie in the first part of the session with the middle part with the panelists. Um, someone asked a question um, shortly after the visualization about whether we should tread the middle way, um, the middle razor edged path, or whether we should throw all of our attention on the side of the choices of light. And I think I just like to clarify and say that really. I think what everybody's advocating for is actually doing both. You know, we have to throw our 
our weight, our, our, our full capabilities, whatever those are, upon the side of the good and the true. Um, but we must also get there through dispassion, through clear thinking, uh, and through all of that which builds right relationship. And we must be really careful when we, um, when we offer rebuke to anybody or anything, even ideas which we disagree with. Because while some ideas may be outdated, I think um, rebuking them does not always to me seem like the way to cooperation. And so when we consider the path to global cooperation, I think we must be really careful how we create that ideal or that path, like what's, the, what's at the end of that path? What does that look like? What is a world of global cooperation? And as we sort of build in that ideal, we must do so with a sense of not just righteousness, but also with um, understanding as well. Thank you, Michael. Um, many of the speakers this afternoon were talking about this time in planetary history and whether it was time for, uh, the way I interpreted, a quantum shift, a quantum leap forward with a new mandate for planet Earth, or whether it might just be a more subtle change. And uh, that really mirrored a quote that I had wanted to share, but I was trying to keep within my time limits, and so I didn't share it. So I thought I'd share it now because sometimes the artists, the writers, the poets, um, musicians also have a lot to contribute in terms of their intuitive insight into the future of humanity. And um, I was listening recently to a talk by um, an astrologer named Rick Levine, and he quoted such a fascinating and profound um, words of wisdom from a British author named Lyle Watson, who wrote a book called Life Tides during the 1970s. And um, he was talking about these different um, types of cycles and shifts in the landscape of life, which he said carry different measures of intensity. And so he was trying to distinguish is what's coming one of these very intense shifts or is it just a minor uh, shift? And so four decades ago in the 70s, he said, um, he described the eddies and vortices of nature that flow to make the living stream. And he said, they're the substance of what he called the life tide. And he went on to write that sometimes there is a changing of the guard by the gods in which there occurs long lasting transformation within the collective psyche. And he said that he believed that now we are at such a point in time We've reached a critical stage in our understanding of reality and of ourselves, a sort of evolutionary embankment, which seems only just strong enough to hold the life tide at bay. And he said, either the waters recede, probably to return again in the next cycle, or something stirs them at the vital moment, sending waves crashing over the retaining walls in a flood which could change the face of the land forever. So thank you. That's beautiful. Thank you, Kathy. I mean, in a way, I think what we've heard, and certainly from my perspective, what's happening is that tide is breaking over, yep. is changing the world forever, and we simply need to wake up and see it. Yes. And we can't see, 
the very act of seeing it will transform us totally. Yes. Because we can't see it as if it's outside of ourselves, then right. we're not seeing it. Something is happening inside of every human being. And yeah. um, just the final thoughts, two thoughts out of this, to me, such an interesting panel. Um, and and the and the including the participants, the chat. One, the the role of crisis that, even as individual human beings, this idea that sp a spiritual crisis. What it means is it's a crisis that forces us to develop our ability to discriminate, and make discriminative choices and in a way that's just like maturing you know throughout our life our life's path we're presented with things that enable us to make increasingly hopefully that's that's what we're challenged with and will continue to be challenged discriminative choices and this is what humanity is facing and then to finish with it was so beautiful to hear the way in which the idea of radiation came into that conversation. All of the work that we that World Good Will seeks to do, all of it really is simple. It is to suggest that we choose the power of radiation as a group to step into our higher potential, that which we know we are in process of becoming. We may not be there, but we know we are in process of becoming. To touch that as something real and together through our thought and imagination to allow that energy to radiate to, the to our neighbors, to our family, to our community, all these levels, and knowing that through that radiation, the path to cooperation is moving with rapidity. It's moving, it's starting to move with speed. And so with that thought, we are behind time. So we will, for those who can stay with us, please, we will work for around 15 minutes, um, 50, between 15 and 20 minutes with a formula for group radiation, the um, strengthening the hands of the new group of world servers. So I'm going to turn my video off. Thank you. So. Through the imagination. Identifiquémonos como un grupo. Un grupo en la conciencia. And to affirm this, we say together, I am one with my group brothers, and all that I have is theirs. May the love which is in my soul pour forth to them 
May the strength which is in me lift and aid them. May the thoughts which my soul creates reach and encourage them. alignment. Again, as a conscious act of imagination, we recognize our place as a group within the heart center of the group of all world servers, the group of all human beings who love and serve. And as that group, mentally extend a line of lighted energy towards the planetary heart center, the great ones on the inner side of life, the spiritual hierarchy. To the Christ or whatever name we may use for the master of all the masters a heart of love within the hierarchy. And we extend that visual line of light towards Shambhala. that center where the will of God is known, the center of the peaceful, silent will.
Now we work together with a higher interlude, aligned with these higher centers of the planetary heart in Shambhala. Hold the mind focused on the planetary role of the group of world servers, mediating between hierarchy and humanity, responding to hierarchical impression and meditating the plan into existence. Daniel, can you move the slide forward, please? Hold the mind focused on the planetary role of the group of world servers, mediating between hierarchy and humanity, responding to hierarchical impression and meditating the plan into existence. Meditation. Using all the faculties of mind, the ability to contemplate and ponder, and the ability to analyze. Reflect on the thought. Today, conflicts are numerous, vital, and unavoidable, presenting constant points of crises and bringing about a point of world tension. But ahead of humanity lies a point of emergence.
precipitation. Visualize the precipitation of the will to good, essential love throughout the planet. From Shambhala, through the planetary heart, the spiritual hierarchy, through the Christ, through the group of world servers, through all men and women of goodwill everywhere in the world, and finally, through the hearts and minds of the entire human family. A precipitation of essential love of the will to good. lower interlude. Consider the many ways in which the power of the one life and the love of the one soul are working out in the world through members of the group of world servants, so building the thought form of solution to world problems.
distribution. <clears throat> we sound together the great invocation. But as we do this with intent and with full consciousness, visualize the irradiation of human consciousness with light and love and power. From the point of light within the mind of God, let light stream forth into human minds. Let light descend on earth. From the point of love within the heart of God, let love stream forth into human hearts. May the coming one return to earth. From the center where the will of God is known, let purpose guide all little human wills. The purpose which the masters know and serve. From the center which we call the human race, let the plan of love and light work out and may it seal the door where evil dwells. Let light and love and power restore the plan on earth. So thank you, friends. Thank you, everybody, for your participation. Working together as a group with thought, with ideas, deepening our sense of the positive role that crises can play in building cooperation. Thank you, friends. This is the end of three events, starting very early in the morning for us here in New York from Geneva, followed by 
the three hours work in London and concluding here. Thank you, friends. Almost wishes. Stay safe. Good night. Just a reminder about these coming events. If you have an interest about a weekly triangles meditation group webinar, the next one coming on Monday, every Monday, the next one, November 16th at 3 p.m. The monthly webinar on the last Wednesday of the month, Wednesday, November the 25th. It's, this is a webinar where we use together a meditation on goodwill. And then finally, the full moon meditation meeting for the Festival of Sagittarius with the Sun and the Sign Sagittarius, um, which will be held on broadcast on Sunday, November the 29th at 3 p.m. Thank you, friends. Good night.